than, again, having, you know. Cheers. If it's all you drink, you could probably drive yourself home. But if you're drinking the High Life Sioux and you have the bonus shot, you got to call an Uber. That's good sound right there. Yeah. The it clinks. Is. This is also, the reason I grabbed High Life over everything was this was one of the first combos that I really enjoyed uh, with Malort on the Rocks. Uh-huh. Oh, um, Malort on the Rocks. As it, as it dilutes a little bit, there's, it gets more of that floral side to it. And in my, on my palate, that floral side really pairs well with the sweet corn side of, of High Life. Oh, wow. And it became a thing. Uh, unbeknownst to me, like Charles was sort of on the same journey, and we started talking about different sweeter lagers that we loved drinking in companionship with Malort. Yeah. And there's always people that look at us a little crazy, but then there's always like one person that's like, actually, that makes a lot of sense. Well, the Malort kind of brings the hops to the party yeah. that aren't really in the beer, right? That's, <laughs> yeah, that's definitely can I, true. Can I say that? Yes, you 100% can. <laughs> yeah, right. I think they like, prefer you to say that, actually. They're like, that's right. There are no perceptible hops in our beer. <laughs> no hops. Charles, before we get going, I have to I have to tell you a story that I, I did hint at. Um, okay. Last last week we had an incredible guest, uh, Yia Vang, James Beard, finalist uh, on um, on the new Iron Chef. Uh, the opening episode uh, is featuring him, and we had this really great conversation. It was three plus hours. It was all over the place. It was really emotional. And uh, we had a nice little break where I just didn't have to edit the show that night. So I decided to wait a couple yeah. days before I got to it. And we had, uh, we had some friends over and they brought their dog, who's a beautiful black lab named Sippy. And it was getting a little hot. The bugs were getting a little crazy. So we brought the dogs in the house. And uh, later that night when we were going to bed, uh, I found the plastic scraps of what we keep our data card in. That had the entire episode on it. Fuck. Dog ate our homework. That's what we thought. For three straight days, I I had a pit in my stomach. I was in my car. I was driving, and I was trying to figure out how am I going to tell Charles? How am I going to tell him (laughs) that we had this incredible, emotional, deep episode where we also had a lot of laughs, but we talked about, uh, you know, racism and food culture and trying to, Yeah, talked a lot about uh, trying to bring his Hmong heritage to the world uh, on a grand stage. We couldn't re-record this. We couldn't re-record. There's no way. Yeah, There's it would be a totally no different episode yep. if we got him back again. And, and he's a very busy man, as you can tell. <laughs> and time was, time was running thin. And uh, the, the remote had fallen underneath our bed. And underneath our bed, I found the naked data card by itself. The dog was just interested. The micro SD. The micro view, SD. Like, which is teeny. fucking tiny. It's like something out of a James Bond movie from yeah. the 80s yeah. as like crazy small technology. And uh, I, I, I started laughing like a madman. And I held it up like I had found the grail. <laughs> and then I ran to my computer to check to make sure it worked. Yeah. And it did. And that's when you called me oh. when I was at Mara. Yeah. I didn't, yeah. I, I didn't I want to. I was so <laughs> tense the whole time you were talking about this. Uh, I was so tense. Like, literally. Imagine how I felt when he was recanting this story to me, not knowing whether he had found it yet. Because right. he decided to tell it from the beginning. Oh, uh, <laughs> like, uh, did you get it? Oh, so I, like, I had, like, sweat running down my face as I put the data card in. Like, please, 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 please. Worked like a charm. Uh, as you can see, the episode is up, everybody. God but I just, it, I just want you all to know that there's a lot more that goes into making this podcast work than just the normal recording and talking. Yeah. I mean, much of our own doing. Yes, well. yes. Uh, using 40 minutes of MJ's episode because of uh, what turned out to be an outlet on a switch for a heater that yeah. we didn't know about. Anyways. So <laughs> it's good along. times. It's good times. <laughs> so speaking of good times. Uh, we have such a banger of an episode and such an amazing guest or guests, I should say, uh, on here today. 
we have one of our favorite spirits, a spirit that we have talked about over and over and over on this podcast, uh, being poured in front of us by somebody, uh, somebody who has brought it to our world. We no longer have to bootleg. We no longer have to, allegedly, we no longer have to stuff it into suitcases whenever we go on trips. I don't have to convince my wife to check a bag so that she can bring some back. Like, it's here. I'm, I overstocked the last time I went to Chicago. It might have been, like, a harbinger of things to come. And I have so <laughs> yeah. much already. You're right. You're right. You did. You came back with, what, five bottles? Six bottles. Six bottles. <laughs> and at the at the um, the Binnies, like, people were chuckling and looking at my car and saying, you got a bachelor party? I'm like, no. I was like, fuck no, I'm not sharing this. And they're like, ah, this guy's funny. I'm like, I'm not kidding. <laughs> six well, bottles, six weeks. Is that about right? Uh, I still have a little <laughs> bit. I'll do the math, but I, I do drink a lot of it. Yeah, we uh, it's we we often <laughs> tell people uh, that like I think that's the thing I get messaged probably like, the second most about is whenever we talk about Millard on the show, somebody will text me or message me on Instagram or on Facebook and ask like, "Are you guys serious or is this like a a thing?" And I'm like, "No, no, no, this is 100% serious." And please try what we're talking about. Like I think part of the stigma sometimes just becomes that people told you that it's like a funny thing. So go with it. And if you actually come into it, well, we're going to get into all that. Yeah, we're going to get into it. So we should actually, we should have our guest introduce himself. Uh, Tremaine, please introduce yourself to our lovely crowd and let them know who you are. Hello, lovely crowd. (laughs) I'm Tremaine, Tremaine Atkinson. Uh, Let's see. I have a title at work. So I actually have a couple. So one is co-founder one is CEO. That's my least favorite. But my favorite one is head drinker. That's, I got that in a text from Katie. And I was like, I don't think there's ever been a more uh, illustrious title that I've seen anybody have. We're going to check is, your qualifications. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes, yeah, I expect it. Yes. Don't, take, don't take my word for it. Okay. Um, and that is an of CH Distillery, um, which is a Chicago-based craft distillery. And uh, we are also the uh, makers and purveyors of Jepson's Malort. Amazing, which is the spirit that we were, of course, talking about. We are going to be having a number of other spirits uh, as well today, but uh, we really wanted to kind of kick it off. Uh, can you give a little background on, on your history and how, how CH was founded and kind of what the impetus was to get into this? Well, it, it, it started actually from a photograph um, from the family album, and it's a, it, it, it looks like a plastic garbage can with a croissant head on it sure. and a plastic dinosaur floating in it. And that's, in fact, what the picture is of. So it's been in the album, and my brother and I, we were in our 20s living in San Francisco, drinking drinking some beer, and we were like, what what the hell is that? So we called our dad, and uh, he explained that that was when he was in graduate school, and my two brothers were really little, and they were, of course, you know, dead poor. Um, He used to make his own beer. And the way you, this would have been in the early 60s, so the way you did it then was you got, well, a plastic garbage bin, and then you went to the store and you got a can of malt syrup and some, sure. you know, baker's yeast. And you just add some water and throw it all in there. Wow. And let it go. So we, we <laughs> were like, amazing. Well, we have our dad's a home brewer. That's yep. pretty cool. We should try that. So we did. And I immediately just totally fell in love with the craft of making beer at home and, you know, had my own yeast lab and. No totally way. nerded out yeah. and, and loved it. And to to a, a, a larger degree than most people would go. Like the yeast lab, oh, yeah. that's an, like now we're bringing in microbiology and you're kicking back to your O-chem degree. <laughs> yeah, my, my O-chem yeah. degree. Yes. <laughs> we're putting that in, yes. in italics and quotes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so that was the start of, of, you know, falling in love with the idea of making alcohol. Sure. And, um, and so then, you know, being in our uh, mid-20s, 
or so, we thought, okay, let's start a company. So we did. Uh, me and a couple of buddies, and um, we called it North Beach Brewing Company, which is kind of a cool name. Yeah. Made a, like cool logo with Coit Tower on it and the whole bit. And our business plan was to sell uh, the five-gallon kegs, which were a little bit of a novelty at the time, and deliver them in the city of San Francisco. And so we started that business, and we sold one keg to my mom <laughs> for her book club. Shout out to mom. <laughs> yeah. Way to support. That's Way to support. Yeah, and uh, to her credit and the group's credit, they drained it. Yes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I love this book club. <laughs> but unfortunately, that did not exactly make for a successful business. So that I so North Beach Brewing Company just sort of went off into the ether for many years um, until... Uh, you know, I got, then I got the grown up job and did the grown up job for a lot of years and, um, kind of got burned out on it about just about 10 years ago or so. Sure. And it, it actually took me six months to realize that I should probably do something in alcohol as my next career. And, and, and for like five minutes, I thought brewery. <laughs> and then I was like, no, there's too many breweries. How about yeah. distillery? Yes. So there we go. That was the, and that was the, the business plan was to open a distillery. Sure. That was it. That's okay, so the, yeah. the, the thesis step, statement was the plan. Yeah. Step one, uh, yeah. open distillery. Step two, question mark. Step three, profits. Again, yeah. the underpants gnomes win. <laughs> the question mark's the easy part. <laughs> so, so did, was, was this still in San Francisco or was this now centered in this Chicago? This was now in Chicago. Okay. So my grown up job took me to Chicago now about 25 years ago. Sure. And uh, so I, I can say I'm from Chicago at this point. I'm not a native, but I've, I've lived in the city for the last 25 years. You've earned your stripes. Yeah, Thank I think you. so. Yeah, I've <laughs> certainly drank in the, drank in, is that a verb? We'll go with it. I, is yeah, that, well, we make up words in the show all the Charles time. Charles was <laughs> nodding his head, so yeah, I think it is. <laughs> I said yeah, and I shook my head. Yeah. So <laughs> I, <laughs> it's very uh, Minnesotan, by yes, the way. exactly. We'll give you mixed yeah. messages. Yeah. Whatever doesn't bother you. <laughs> uh, so you start making spirits, and then when does when does Jepsons get involved in the story? So it almost almost right away. So my uh, favorite spirit, oddly enough, before Malort came along, uh, was vodka. Sure. I love vodka. I love a really good, crisp, clean vodka that's actually made from real stuff that you can sort of taste. So that's what we set out to do, and that's that is our still our core flagship product in the CH. Line. So CH distillery, kind of for Chicago, CH, and also for carbon and hydrogen. We're kind of, you know, science nerds. Love it. And um, so we, we've been making a vodka for about the last nine years. But so, and we have this beautiful distillery. We actually have two now, one in the West Loop, one in Pilsen. Mm. And um, so I was, early on, I picked up a bottle of, you know, my other favorite spirit, Malort. And I was like, this is made in Florida. And... <laughs> Pardon my Chicagoan, but what the fuck, <laughs> right? Like that's that's ridiculous. It's like the old so, Pace Picante like salsa commercials, like made in Florida. Florida. Get a rope. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, all right, so we we needed to bring the the prodigal child home. Yes, we need to. So I found out there was this guy named Sam who uh, worked at Patty Long's as a bartender. Um, great bacon and beer joint. And Sam was the quote unquote director of marketing for Jepson's Malort, which actually, okay, little side story. So Sam 
it was a was a bartender and a malort lover and got really hammered one night and basically put up a Facebook page of Jepson's Malort. <laughs> now he had nothing to do with the company. <laughs> so like, you know, the next day he gets a what? A cease and desist sure. letter from uh from the company. Uh the company at, at that point, well, it was the company was one really nice lady named Patricia Gablick. And Pat was probably about sixty-five then. So she gets her lawyer on the phone, gets Sam on the phone. Said, we all need to meet. So they meet and Sam walked out with the, again, here with, here they are again, director of marketing for Jepson's Malort. Amazing. That is his job. So, so I go find Sam at Patty Long's and I say, Sam, we got to work on this. We got to bring it back home. And he's, he's like, yes. Yeah. So for, for five years, we, Sam and I schemed to try to get Patricia, Pat to, just give the 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 co-packing contract for Malort to CH, and she every time she just said no, no. She looked at me once, and she we'd given her a tour of the big distillery in Pilsen, and she was very impressed. And I said, "So Pat, what do you think?" And she said, "You seem like a really nice young man, but <laughs> everything is going really, really, really well." Sure. She ran the company out of her apartment on Lakeshore Drive. I love it. With Sam as her part-time, you know, guy just going around cheering about Malort. And everything was working fine. And so, you know, for five years, I pounded on it. And then finally, I gave up. And about six months after I gave up, Sam called me. And Sam said, so she's thinking of retiring. Um, would you be interested in buying the company? And I said, "That wow, hadn't thought of that. But sure. And, and he basically said, she's going to sell the company to you. Amazing. Yeah. And it really was a, it was a real like heart, heart moment for a Chicagoan to like, you know, basically be told you are the one who is going to carry forward this. Also, if anybody doubts your Chicago authenticity, I think you could say like, I convinced the woman who solely owned Jepson's to sell it to me so that we could continue growing it. Like, that's that's cred deeper than most people could ever have. Is <laughs> an unknowing five year interview process. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Longest well, interview ever. You know, and it's it, it. I I always say this, but you know, it's it's a good reminder to always be nice to older people. You know, that's legit. Totally. Because you never know what you might get you out of them. Oh, wait. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, I feel like uh, I feel like we should we should we've talked about it enough, and I can, yeah. I can smell it, and then now I just kind of want to taste it. Absolutely. Oh. Should, we, uh, should we jump into this? Cheers to me right. eventually bothering you for five years about selling me Malort. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> oh, man, I love that so much. Mm. Yeah, buddy. Should we tee it off? Let's do it. All right, Tremaine. What is your personal favorite way to enjoy Malort? Straight shot rocks in a cocktail alongside something or in a particular venue or climate. I like it. I, you know, it's funny. I, I think you were talking about having Malort on ice. Mm-hmm. I do. And I realized I've never done that. <laughs> sure. We, we can so go down that road at maybe any we point. Should, maybe we should try. I, I, I like it as a shot and I like it room temperature. Now, I have had it. This is a really bad answer to your question because it's like rambling. But... Um, Charles is looking at me so like, we do that's what we do. Yeah. <laughs> we've, yeah. we've had multiple yeah. episodes go over three hours. Yeah. That's, so that's on brand. You're just fine. That's on brand. So uh, I forget where I was, but, um, oh, I was at a bar. 
And <laughs> somebody was like, have you ever had hot Malort? And I'm like, what, what, like with Tabasco in it? Like, no, like literally heated up Warm. in the microwave. Mm. That might be my least favorite. Yeah, I was going to say, okay, this to is going to be a hard sell for me it? to make that yeah. work. <laughs> Do not recommend it. Plus, probably nuking, you know, alcohol mm, mm. sounds sketchy. Yeah. Um, and where, actually, you know, when I think about drinking Malort, so my, uh, probably my most important job at the distillery at this point, um, we have a really great team in place, and but I have all the palate memory. And so... I taste, I taste test every batch of every spirit that goes out, and I'm sort of the final word, if you will, on that. But it's very collaborative. But How else are you going to keep your job as head drinker? Yeah, exactly. Like, you yeah. have to yeah. be the authority. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when I think about drinking Malort, I think about drinking, taking a shot of Malort, because the protocol is, you know, like if we're tasting a vodka or a gin or something like that, you know, take a small sip, you know, roll it across your tongue, do, you know, look, you know, wistfully into the air, all that stuff. Uh, with and that was what we initially did with Malort, and then we realized nobody, nobody drinks Malort like that. So the protocol is you do a shot. Oh. So when I think of probably my favorite way to have Malort to finally answer your question, is at our little office at about you know maybe nine thirty in the morning. Fresh batch of Malort has come out. One of the guys brings me a little cup. Then there it goes. Yeah. Oh. I love that. Yeah, and that's my job. That's exactly. <laughs> as, as somebody who uh, works in the craft beer industry, I, I understand that there is nothing better. Uh, we always call it getting a freshie off the line, but literally taking yes. one from the canning line, maybe that hasn't even had the lid put on yet. There's there's no better beer than that. It's yeah. a, a Part of it is that you're doing it at work. Part of it is that you're in this amazing multi-million dollar machine. But part of it is just like, yeah, this is fresh. This is it. This yeah. is what we're doing. I got yeah, to do that once with uh, with Josh Deeth at Revolution. Yeah. I was yeah. just cruising around. He was showing off his new canning line. He's like, you want a beer? Who also just showed up in the Twin Cities. So oh, awesome. Chicago's, yeah, Reds, Chicago's yeah. taken over. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess for me, I we, we were talking about it before we started recording that uh, I really do love it on the rocks and uh, with like a sweeter lager next to it. The, the florality of it comes out more and it, um, the bitterness is still there, especially on the finish, but it almost separates out a little bit. So the, the first sip starts sweeter and more floral and then finishes astringent, which I love. Uh, and then it makes the beer, like you can taste the, the flaked corn in it a little bit more. So you have that sweetness, but if I had to be a hundred percent honest, and this is going to be slightly ruined now, but, uh, I really do love shots at a bar because that meant I was on vacation in Chicago. And uh, for years we had uh, in the mid two thousands, we had a a trade where every six months, a whole team of bartenders from Chicago would come up here. And then six months later, a whole team of bartenders from Minnesota would go to Chicago. And whenever we showed up, the first bar we went to, when we got to Chicago, everybody ran in and and had a shot of Malort. And that was like, that was the start. That was me punching the clock on nobody can talk to me about work for three days. And we're just going to have fun and we're going to go to a Cubs game and we're going to eat all kinds of food and it's going to be great. And so that was always the signifier for me that we got to do that. But now as a few bars started sneaking in bottles and it started popping up more, now it's here, uh, it still will take me there. Having a shot of it at a bar still takes me and makes me think like, hey, you're in another city for a little while. You have, you know, 10 times more food at your fingertips. And it's a, a pretty wonderful thing to, to kind of feel inside. So uh, it's nice having something that's such an easy touchstone to kind of get you there. Nice. Charles, what about you? I do enjoy it on the rocks, and that's usually how I drink it. If it's just what I'm enjoying 
or the evening or a portion of the evening earlier on, like at a bonfire or something. Started using rocks with Malort probably three years ago. And I remember, well, first of all, I agree with Quam about how it brings out some florality. It mutes that bitterness a little bit. But it occurred to me like a year and a half ago while I was sitting in my yard drinking Malort on the rocks that because I was like, this reminds me of something and I couldn't remember like I couldn't place it for, for some reason I couldn't place precisely, but it had like this direct connotation for me and I just couldn't place it. And then suddenly it occurred to me. And then I realized, of course I had to tell Quam right away because it tastes, it tastes like bitter dill aquavit, mm. like the florality of it. And there's like uh, notes of mm-hmm. um, botanicals that represent that herb, herbality of like a, a dill. So it tastes like a little bit bitter dill aquavit. The other thing that we've discovered is that if you give it to somebody on a rock that otherwise doesn't enjoy it, you might discover that they actually do like it because it's enough. It's the, it's a level of bitterness with the dilution from the rock uh, that is tantamount to like Campari. It's, it, mm-hmm. it takes it from being um, assertively bitter to having a little bit more balance that some people who don't like bitter stuff as much as we do enjoy. Uh, to that point, my favorite time and way to enjoy it because they're intrinsically connected, is at the end of a night, uh, it's my nightcap Ooh, yeah. very frequently. Yeah. One of the primary reasons for that is I, I have a salt tooth, not a sweet tooth. I don't like sweets. And if I'm at a cocktail bar, certainly I want to try all their cocktails. They don't appeal to people like me. They don't make a lot of savory cocktails. I'm lucky if I can find one. And if I can't find one, I'm usually drinking really dirty martinis by the end of the evening. But either way, when I go yeah. home or when I'm drinking beers... I'm like, enough sugar on my tongue. Give me something bitter because I want to balance it out before my evening's done. So then I'll pour myself a big old glass of Malort and just sip on it and then probably pour myself another one. <laughs> give myself in a little trouble. But yeah, I like, I like to use it as a balancer because having a lot of sweet drinks just like pains me. By the, by the like fourth, fifth, sixth, sweet cocktail I'm like why am I doing this to myself it, it really does like uh, we Charles talked about it a little bit on the the our last episode there is something you're there's like a tongue fatigue when you have really high citrus in a lot of cocktails back to back to back which is obviously I love that we're in the era of fresh pressed juices and, and fresh things being used in cocktails but there is just a fatigue that happens I, I also don't really love sweet things and there's a fatigue that happens after a little while and there are very few things left that you can drink that will be the antithesis of that and I always feel like like a Malort or any other in the the bitter family it just kind of reinvigorates my palate like it's like oh this is what we needed this is this is how I get rid of all of that yeah and then now now I can get excited about a a flavor which is you know it's still a big flavor but it's a completely different one so all of a sudden your mouth starts watering a little bit more and your tongue doesn't feel so like cat tongue where it's all rough from all the citric acid and all that yeah, I mean, I can drink Malort all night. And part of the reason is because, okay, so to get technical for a second, so it's a liqueur, which is defined in the federal regs as a spirit that has to have at least 2.5% sugar by weight, mm. right? Malort is basically right dead on at the 25 Sure. So it's got just enough. And it, it is an important flavor component of the spirit. For sure. Right? Because it carries it, I think it helps carry it across your tongue. It also gives you that kind of like psychs you out, right? Because that very first sensation is like, ooh. And then it's like, yeah. <laughs> that's That's exactly what I like about it. So yeah. like, ooh, and then it's, ow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Ow. Ooh, ow. Ooh, ow. Well, uh, what do you think? Should we, should we move on to the next spirit? 
We should. Yeah. yeah. What do we have? Uh, let's see. Do you want to grab that microphone? Can we pass that over? Do you want to explain what we got here? Sure. Uh, also, introduce yourself to our, our crowd here. Uh, hello. Uh, I am Katie Dimmick. I'm the Spirits Portfolio Director for New France Wine, a locally owned distribution company here in the Twin Cities. Uh, and I have brought a selection of spirits for us all to enjoy today. Kind of a little bit of everything um, with our hosts in mind. So, um, Charles, I know that you absolutely loved oxidized wines. So I am a huge fan of Sherry's, and I think that we have some yes. of the best in our book. So I've brought today El Maestro Sierra's Amontillado, their 12-year. So fun thing about Sherry's, instead of age statements being minimums, they're averages. So that means the average age of that Sherry is 12 years. So there's probably stuff as old as 30, maybe longer in it. Um, and Amontillado, slightly oxidized style. So you get some of that nutty, funky, but you still have that clean crispness. Um, but That's just a rinse in your glass, by the way. Um, El Maestro Sierra is one of my favorite bodegas. They're definitely a story of firsts. It was started by a barrel master in 1830. He was one of the very first non-aristocrats to own a sherry house. So that was very rare. He was met with a lot of pushback, but um, persevered. And then in the 1970s, Maestro Sierra was the first bodega to be owned by a woman. And it still is Amazing. to this day. So um, second generation of the family that is female running the company currently and a female capataz, which is also very rare. Hell yes. Um, yeah, and it's delicious. Oh, cheers. Cheers. Oh, my God. Mm. Acid, like almost a touch of salinity. Yeah, there's for sure like a salinity and minerality to that. That is beguiling. Wow. That's yeah. that in terms of sherries, that is one of the more um savory leaning sherries. I was just gonna say in quite some time, which making, I really like and highly oxidated. Making a sherry cocktail with that would be mm. absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, I I would just drink that bottle. <laughs> yeah, in a hammock. Yep. In a, yes, exactly. <laughs> the nose is, it's, it's the nose is enough to make I, you happy. Yeah, and I don't know. I'm bad at mm. describing nose noses, but Charles, what what would you say the nose is? It's lightly smoky. It, it you get that um, the uh, uh, the grape skins. I like a little bit grapey kind of dried fruit. Yeah. I, yeah the yeah, dried fruit yeah. is where I was at. Like mm -hmm. I, I got like the first notes that I got were like a, like a, a raisin fig. Um, I was hate saying raisin, you know, but sometimes yeah. I get that, but I just don't like saying well, it. Well, okay. Prune. Then we'll go with, we'll like start, we'll say a, a bit figgy. Dried apricot. Dried apricot. Yeah. Uh, mission, but then, yeah. Mission, mission figs. Come on. <laughs> yes, mission. of course. Sounds fancier. And then there's like a, and then there's like a, just a brown sugar sweetness. And then there's that, that smoky depth to it underneath. That is, that is amazing. It's that sort of, th that smoke is often representative of like an over-ripened fruit. But if you say that, then people are like, rotten fruit, I don't want to smell that. But that's what the, that's what that smoky character often is. <laughs> yeah. It, there's a, spo there, there's a spoiled right. aspect yeah. to mm -hmm. it, right? Which, yeah. Yeah. Mm. I just need to eat more marzipan. Everybody always says that. And I don't, I don't know that I could 
ever think of a time that I've had like fresh marzipan out of an oven. Oh my gosh. I was in port this, I hadn't thought about this in years. I was in Portugal uh, in my twenties, you know, backpacking around and ended up at this marzipan farm. Amazing. It, it was, and I actually really did not like marzipan. And then I went there and I had fresh marzipan and it was like, I couldn't get enough of it. Sure. It's unbelievable. So go to Portugal. Yes. That's my and advice. Result, go to Portugal, whatever <laughs> yes. you need to do. <laughs> All right. Uh, Tremaine, as, as a native Chicagoan, which we were going to classify you as. Um, you baby blue stripes. We've been over this. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, even, even a city as close as the Twin Cities here, uh, anywhere you travel, Whenever Chicago gets brought up and the food scene gets brought up, everybody immediately defers to or reverts to deep dish. They always say that. Mm -hmm. But as somebody who's traveled there quite a bit, I feel like that's just doing the city and the, the community around it a, a disservice because there is so much there. So um, as somebody who does love deep dish pizza, I'm not knocking that. I eat the shit out of it. But what would you say is like when you think of Chicago cuisine, like where does your head go? What do you, what do you think about when you like – this is what Chicago is, or this is what makes me think of, of Chicago. Wow. The, it, it makes me think of it, the diversity of cuisine that we have um, and that you can get really pure expressions of, uh, you know, for example, let's, you know, like if you want Thai food, you know, you can get like real authentic Thai food. You can get real authentic um, Chinese food and not just Chinese, right? Like China is a big country with lots of different aspects sure. to it. Um so, and uh, what Rick Bayless has done for the for the Mexican cuisine in America is unbelievable. Um, huge fan of of his uh, approach and style. Um, wow, uh, I could go on. I could list so many restaurants, but it's it's really it's that you 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 never get bored. I mean you know? that that literally Absolutely. can be the answer. Like the the plurality of of cuisines and cultures all coming together. I mean that that also could be the answer. Yeah, if that's what makes you think of it. Absolutely. And then it just rocks. Like you know, great chefs who feel you know. There's the the I love the. I actually grew up in the East Coast, then went west and and ended up in you know here in the Midwest. And what I love about the Midwest for the dining scene is the serious lack of pretense and attitude, but the chops to deliver really amazing stuff. And that maybe that really is what it is that I yeah. love the best about Chicago is you, you just, you can have all kinds of it's amazing stuff. It's the central coast too. It's the closest to all the ports that arrive from around the world. So if you want fresh seafood from all over the world, Chicago is the best place to get it. So if you go to Publican and you get the, they do the various oyster platters that have oysters from fucking everywhere. Yeah. You get one platter of oysters and there's a dozen of them. And I believe they still do. They used to do this 12 from 12 different locales. Amazing. That's fucking crazy. Where else can you do that? Yeah. That's, yeah, that's legit. I mean, so Charles, would that lead into what you would say? Yeah, I... My, my approach to this is that um, Chicago, there's two markets I think of when I think of uh, restaurants where the chefs make what they want to eat and then you're buying it from them or the bartenders make what they want to drink or what they would make for their friends and you're buying it. New York and Chicago, those are the two markets I think of. And so when an eatery opens here like Chips, the way that I characterize it is, oh, that's like a Chicago style eatery. And when people ask me, what does that mean to you? Well, it means that the chef's making the food that he, he or she would like to consume and it turns out people really fucking like that mm -hmm. uh in terms of like cocktail bars money gun they're finally getting their due i think they just won like number seven in the world in the recent top 50 
which is great because I've always loved that bar and it's incredibly no frills. Meteor feels like uh, our own local version of Money Gun where it's just, it looks like a hole in the wall, but it's a bunch of really, really skilled bartenders making incredible drinks, but it feels like they're not making it because everyone's like, please, we want daiquiris. They're saying, hey, we are making a cocktail with Malort. Yeah. Give it a shot, which they probably have like fucking four of them on the menu. I saw their push pin board today. They have at least one. So that's the thing that I think I love the most is obviously there's a variety. Do you want fine dining? Do you want someone to cater to what you want? Of course you're going to be able to find that. You want a smash burger? Go to Asherville, best smash burger on earth. Don't bring up the bologna sandwich corn. And <laughs> it's the best. Bologna sandwich of the God night. Damn, Sorry. Every time. Uh, you know, you want pizza, obviously, of all different kinds. Uh, you have a litany of options at yeah. your disposal. You want Spock and Napoli. Oh, mm. just dead thin. The absolute opposite of Chicago deep yeah. dish. Yep. And I'm I still would, an institution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you could wrap the like Spock and Napoli around your your Uno's. You know, and, like have <laughs> a pizza sandwich. Wow. My spot oh. is Pauly G's, and you know oh, they do yeah. they don't do deep dish, but they do Detroit style, and then they do wood fired. So they do two styles as well as anybody in town it, under one roof, and it's not the style that people outside of Chicago know Chicago for yep. the most. Obviously, Mexican food incredible Mexican food. If you walk into a place on the South side and you can't read the menu and there are napkins on the floor, you're in the right spot. You're not yes. in the right spot. You're in the right spot. But basically if you, if you want to find what you're looking for, you can find it. But if you want to let the chef make you what the chef wants to eat, go to Longman and Eagle, for instance, the menu is, is top to bottom stuff that they know that they enjoy, but I bet you'll like it too. Like uh, Nashville hot trotters, for instance, which I've, I've had there. Or, oh no, pig's ears. Pig's ears. Nashville hot pig's ears or uh, uh, falafel scotch egg, which as a Lebanese boy yeah. really tickled me. Like, are you fucking kidding? I remember when I when they took that off the menu, I practically cried. <laughs> that sounds really good. That's, oh, I man. Try and make those. So smart. Yeah. How smart is that? The falafel on the outside instead of sausage. Not once thought about that. Incredible. So smart. Tadziki dip. Oof. Come on. Let's have those now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For, for me, I think it was the. You took um, all the answers. Uh, well, that I was. was good. I was I was a, a a picky eater as a kid, and then in high school it was like whatever was fast and cheap, you know. Like I was working a, a minimum wage job, and I just wanted to go out and like have whatever I could get my hands on. And college, I finally started opening up my palate a little bit because I was around other people that had incredibly experienced palates. And then I lived overseas for a year, and once that happened, it sort of takes away all of your go-tos and you just have to try new things. And it turns out mm. when you actually just stop being scared of trying new things, most things are really delicious. If a chef has decided to put it on a restaurant and the restaurant is of any merit, food's probably going to be pretty good. And by the time I hit my early 20s, it was all about trying to experience new things. Like, I haven't had that. Let's do that. I haven't had that. Let's do that. And as a kid who grew up uh, eating like boiled hot dogs with two lines of ketchup on them, and never having anyone offer anything else. Uh, there's <laughs> nothing better than sitting at a Cubs game with a Chicago dog in an old style. Like that is, that will forever be, every time I'm there uh, now at 42, that would still make me feel like when I was 22 and I had that for the first time. Because I had never had all of those flavors. I had never been anywhere where they had offered that. Sport peppers, green relish, like all of it. It's like, here, try all of that. And it was amazing. And I don't think I would have picked making that on my own, but then I went somewhere and somebody gave it to me. One of my other favorite all-time food memories was uh, having a dude who called himself Big Chalk teach me how to eat an Al's beef. 
with the wide stance and the elbows <laughs> on the counter. And he was like, like literally working with me like a, like a, like a, up so the juice doesn't go yes. your sleeve. Okay. Like, I mean, I'm talking hands on the hips, like a golf coach talking me through everything. And that became, it was one of the best sandwiches ever. I mean, I had juice dripping off my beard. It was, it was ridiculous, but that is, I, those are moments to me that will be forever Chicago. Um, and of course there's wonderful, amazing restaurants and there's, you know, some of the best, everything that you could ever wish for. But those are, that, that's it for me. It was like somebody who said, there's no pretension to this. Look around at the other people that are in this room. They look just like you. They're all enjoying this. So what if you haven't tried it? Just come try it. And then again, it was all these little things that opened up my entire food world. So by the time I hit late twenties and early thirties, then I really got into cooking legitimate. And now I feel like I'm trying to pass that on to like other friends who have maybe been a little bit pickier and choosier, but it's, it's hard for me not to think about whenever I'm talking about anything in Chicago, it's hard for me not to think about those two things, huh. like a sunny day with an old style and a Chicago dog. And then Al's beef and then finding a bar with Malort as a digestive to be like, that was a huge sandwich. <laughs> the only thing that can make an Italian beef better is an Italian sausage on yes. top of it. Oh, that is, I mean, like that's on the, top of it. Yes. Yeah, like physically? Right, just yep. like, boom, right, right in there. Yeah, it's, yeah. The, it's the combo. It's, it's the combo. Yeah, it's the yeah. combo. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. uh, I'm not super yeah. well versed in. I did all the Chicago y things many years ago and then I stopped doing them because I'm just always seeking out new restaurants. So I'm like, okay, I had all the deep dish, I had the Chicago beef, I had the hot dog. Now I just want to explore. So I haven't, I haven't had a Chicago beef or a hot dog or deep dish pizza in Chicago probably in 15 years. So I have a suggestion for you. Okay. You know how like when you, you know you're you're listening to music and you got your playlist or whatever it yeah. is, and there's something like there's stuff you used to listen to. You're like, I don't listen to that anymore. But then every now and then it'll it'll rock around like a like an REO song or something sure, like that. Yeah. You'd be like, oh, damn, that was actually pretty good. I would suggest you go back to the Chicago Basics and recycle them around. Yeah. I think it'd be a good, I think you'd have a good journey. I, I would love to. No My pun problem intended. is <laughs> last time I was in Chicago, I was there for four nights. I did Smith, Oriole, Topolobampo, and what was the other fucking place I was <laughs> Another shitty Michelin star. Uh, oh no, have, it was. Um, I need to have a oops. Super I name dropped. No, it was the only three star. What the hell's wrong with me? Um, it's the only three stars. Uh, don't look at me. I never go Alinea. to these places. Alinea. There you go. Yeah. Nice. So those were my four evenings, and then I had to get an Auschwitz in there somewhere, and I also had to make sure that my wife didn't murder me for all the food we were consuming. <laughs> so there's no room in there for a Chicago beef with a fucking Polish sausage on top of it. <laughs> one of one of the most one of the most liked things I've ever posted on on Facebook okay. was a video uh, from Money Gun from their patio yeah. after doing the Italian combo with some friends. We were in town for the Pearl Jam shows that were at Wrigley that they ended up making the movie about. And uh, our good friend, uh, our good friend, Jim Ferencamp, uh, I don't think he understood the amount of food that comes because they don't put less beef on it. It's, it's a full <laughs> yeah, Italian no. beef with a full with, sausage in it. Yeah. And he had, he had eaten Yeah, they that. didn't carve out a little pit for no, you? No, okay. no, you're getting the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. And he was laying on, they have a, like a stepped patio so you can kind of sit at different levels. <laughs> and he was laying on the patio and he had pulled his t-shirt up and was just rubbing his belly. And I, uh, I set my cell phone to slow-mo and I had a friend hold it. And then I ran up while his eyes were closed and I slapped his belly as hard as I could. And you could just see the ripples Ooh. and then his face go, ugh. Just turned green. <laughs> yeah. 
But again, nothing like again. friends. Yeah, we're that's what we do for each other. We're here <laughs> for each other. Probably so. the city that's easiest to overeat. And oh man, for my brother who just walked out of here, his bachelor party. We had a big meal at Publican, and we decided to get lunch at Green Street Meats, like a bunch of fucking assholes. <laughs> yeah. And we ate like 30 pounds of meat at 1 p.m. with dinner at 6, and we were all like, why did we do that? <laughs> and, of course, we ate the whole meal because it was like 13 guys, and uh, we didn't feel great after that. <laughs> well, that's when you drink Malort. Exactly. You don't feel great. We, and we did. And we did. I love when I'm at, so when I'm in Chicago, I, when I drink Malort, it, I feel weird doing it because I'm doing it unironically. And I think everyone around me expects me to only do it ironically. But the joy of drinking Malort in Chicago, I've discovered, is when I tell bartenders I like it, they just give it to me. Yep. <laughs> On my last trip, I just would walk in and say, hello, I enjoy Malort unironically. And they're like, well, well, well. And they pour me a shot and I take it. They're like, oh, he wasn't kidding. Well, and let's, <laughs> let's not lie. Free shit always tastes better. Boom. 100%. Yeah, fucking, hey. <laughs> All right. Oh, here we go. Uh, yeah. Do you want to pass the microphone over again? And uh, Katie, would you like to explain what we have next? Yes. So next we're having Mezcal. Um, we are drinking Yola Mezcal. Yola is the owner of the company. Um, it is a female owned and run Mezcal with a predominantly female staff in production in Mexico. So all artisanal, um, handcrafted production. Um, all of the agaves are coming from Oaxaca, from Yola's grandfather's farm, and they are being done in traditional methods. So they are fully ripe mezcal or piñas that are then roasted underground in the conical stone-lined pit, um, stone wheel to hona maceration, uh, wild ferment in oak barrels for 10 to 15 days, Double distilled in copper pot to proof. Nothing even water added post-distillation. Um, and the agaves are espadine and madraquiche. And it kind of just depends on what's ripe. So the blend varies. Okay. Um, but yeah, mostly female production. And at their uh, palenque, they provide health care and child care. Which so is great. better than most if jobs you, in our entire country. Yeah, yeah. So if you were to think about like all the ways that you wish something was done and the way that you wish a mezcal was made and the way that they would treat their employees, I mean, they've got sustainability efforts, they've got reforestation efforts, they the water that they're adding to their ferment is a rainwater collect. Um, they are using solar power. It's, if you think about all the ways you wish something were being done, that's it. the way they're doing it. I mean, Ooh. I just took a little sip on the that front is end. So to, clean. That is incredible. Oh, salute. And it doesn't suck. Oh, yeah, that's exceptional. To yeah. have something be brightly fruity, sweet, and, like, earthy, grassy, smoky, that is, it, like, hits on every single level the whole way down. The smoke is, is, is really just on the nose. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, which I agree. is a really nice way to get it. I expected more when I tasted it. Yeah. But then it's all like tropical fruit on yeah, in, in the in the really liquid. Clean. Yeah, it finishes super clean. It's I might have to have one more little pour of that. Mm. That is stupendous. Wow, that's good. That's mm. gonna be. Oh yeah. yeah, it's available in the Twin Cities now. Or excellent, lovely. Wow. New York. Mexican they have a Mexican food. restaurant in New York. <laughs> like, like a. Oh, I know I'm what you're talking to think about. Of what? I have no idea. 
Cosme. Oh, yes. yeah. Well, yeah. Mm. well, they wouldn't let me get a table for one last time I was there, so. Also, yeah, we I'll go next time with my wife. For all of our listeners, we've been passing. <laughs> Marty, come phone. with me to New York. I need to <laughs> please this meal so I can have this meal. <laughs> <laughs> we've been passing the microphone back and forth between Tremaine and, and Katie. We were just trying to oh, come yeah, up with a recipe right. or the restaurant where uh, Katie had first. Where you first had it? Um, where she had it in cocktails. Beautiful. Uh, yes, and then okay. So the brand name is. Well, I just want to repeat Yola. that on air. Yola. Yola, Yola. Okay, in case you're seeking it out, and then I'm gonna take a photo of the lineup and post that on social media. Y O L A Yola. Yeah, don't let me forget. Okay, <laughs> I'm up. I'm up. Let's All right, go. you're up. Topic number three. Okay, uh, Malort as a brand has a, a wonderful sense of humor regarding many people's ironic enjoyment of it. Obviously, it's central to your marketing, despite the fact that many of us love it in earnest. You have. Many such people sitting at this very table. Are you similarly able to not take yourself very seriously? And how important a trait is that for you as an individual? Oh, wow. That might be that that might be number one, right? <laughs> because if you um, and it, it it is kind of in conflict with other um, aspirations and and what you would consider, you know, a good character, which would be if you're going to do something do it right. If you're going to, you know, you don't have to be the best, but applying yourself earnestly yeah. to whatever task that you have. Um, and, uh, and also to, you know, friendships and relationships and um, all kinds of things yeah. is a really, you know, we all, I think would think of that as a good thing. And the, uh, the, wow, the mezcal is like making me philosophical, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the, the, the tough part about that is that it, it, it takes intensity, it takes focus, and that doesn't really, uh, that's not, those are not light things, yeah. right? And so to be able to step outside of yourself and, um, and laugh and, and just sort of relax, I think is, is crucial. And it's, it's kind of like you, if, you're, if you're a creative person, um, you're not creative all the time, right? You, you ban it, sometimes it just it hits you, and then you just need to do other things. And that's, I think, very similar with um, being accomplished and being good at stuff, and then giving yourself a break and going, "Yeah, dude, you know, you're still kind of a fuck up," <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of what Malort is. Like yeah. we really take the making of Malort very seriously. It's right. important to us. Absolutely. We feel, you know, a lot of responsibility as stewards of a. A, a really, you know, favorite brand of many Chicagoans. And, um, and so we do that. And then we're just like, yeah, but it tastes like shit, <laughs> <laughs> which it doesn't. Yeah. But it's <laughs> it, the ability to, to lean into that. I think it shows that you are sort of of the people. Like you can have a good time with people that don't like it because you're acknowledging them. I think a lot of companies want to ignore the fact that maybe their product isn't for everyone and all they want to do is try and convince everyone that it's for everyone. It's okay to not be into this, but if you are, we can wink, wink, nudge, nudge you as you go. Like the, the, the ad campaigns, uh, <laughs> like uh, today, uh, somebody posted one of, the, one of the shots of the bottle and it was like... Uh, the official drink of not getting your rent deposit back or your security deposit back. <laughs> like that's fun to see that a company can embrace that. Cause we don't have a lot of that. You know, so many of the, the companies of all different types just refuse to have any fun with it. It's that our product is the best and how dare you say anything else. 
And I feel like, I don't, have you seen more success just because you've been able to lean into it and have a good time with it? I, I think so. I mean, when we were, um, we were, we had a lot of trepidation when we actually first um, acquired the brand because you know, it's a responsibility. Really? And mm. we basically kind of looked at each other and said, all right, this is a little bit like raising kids. You're probably the best thing you can do is not fuck them up, mm -hmm. right? That's kind of, really is kind of your job. Yeah. You know, maybe nudge and guide a little bit, but try not to fuck them up too much. And that was our thing with Malort. Like, let's, that if, if we do nothing else, yeah, or maybe to take it even to a further level, you know, yeah. the, the doctor's oath, you know, first do no harm, yes. right? So let Malort be its thing. And that we actually don't have a marketing program per se for Malort. But really all we do is um, reward and, and just help people out there who are already just jamming about Malort on social media or wherever. And um, because they're the ones who really, really um, love the brand and create all the, all the crazy, like, you know, fanaticism about it. Um, and we just want to encourage that as much as possible. <laughs> it's easier <laughs> so to do not when you're most, up. not so tightly tailored to when you're like, Oh, that's off brand. Yeah, 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 no, that that would be, like, off-brand for Malort would be, like, um, you know, hiring, like, a, a celebrity spokesmodel yeah. for Malort. <laughs> Although, we could probably cook up somebody who would be yeah. pretty good at I it. I bet there'd be a bunch of people that would want to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How about, how about Johnny Depp? Yeah. <laughs> First, I want to see him do eight shots in a row and not blink. <laughs> oh, the not blinking part he's got down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know me. I I I love I love to make fun of myself. I think as somebody who doesn't always have uh I don't I don't use all of the tools to de-stress as well as maybe I should. There are a lot of people that can just talk themselves through it and that's how they get out of their heads. Um we've talked about it a lot on this show. Uh one aspect of of my mental health has been embracing the fact that that I've led a really weird and and crazy life and it's not a normal path that most people would take or that parents would tell their kids to take. But at the end, like we've accomplished a lot of things. And I love to, th to think about all of the hilarious stories along the way. And when Charles sent me this question, I was trying to think of a great example of it. And my, the, the one that popped into my head was um, on, on New Year's Eve, 1999, Y2K. Like we kind of knew once some countries around the world had started celebrating New Year's that the computer apocalypse wasn't going to happen because if it was, it already would have happened mm -hmm. elsewhere. All my spreadsheets are exactly. fine. <laughs> like, we're good. Uh, but, you know, there was still, I, I was at the time, I think, 20 or 21, and it was, you know, like, there, there was, people were still nervous. And then uh, as things were going, I had just gotten home from Norway, and there were a lot of people that I hadn't seen in a year. So I was trying to run around and, and see everybody, and... There was a, a, a young woman that I was, should we say, rather sweet on, and I had promised her that I was going to come back for midnight because I wanted to give a little New Year's Eve smooch. And I had gone to another friend's house for they were, they were having a party, and I looked at my watch, and it was 11:54, and I was blocks away, and I was like, "No!" So I took you off. You have running. told the story, but it was like 43 episodes ago. Yeah, there you go. Well, <laughs> uh, who knows? So I there was a three foot retaining or a two foot retaining wall okay. right outside the back door. So I took off running and like jumped the steps and I clipped my feet on it and it was just an, a gravel driveway on the oh. other side. And so I ripped the entire knee out of my pants and gouged the hell out of my kneecap. And the thing that I was the most mad about was that 
I didn't have anyone to laugh about it with. <laughs> because, like, in a sense, I did all this because I was trying to kiss a girl that I liked. Like, that's it. But then a block away, I hear this hysterical laughter, and I look up, and it's one of the women that lived in the, the party house that our band practiced in the basement. And she's doubled over, and she's like, oh, my God, I can't <laughs> believe you just wiped out like that. That's the greatest thing I've ever seen. I got up instantly, not mad anymore, not even in pain, laughing with her, ran, made it in time, awesome <laughs> night. But then we ended the night by pouring 100-proof vodka on it to, to, to cleanse <laughs> the wound. Because that's what you do. But that was like, it was the fact that I didn't have anybody to laugh with me. That was what made me mad. And I think once you get to that point where you can just laugh whenever you do something really stupid, whenever you spend three days stressing about the fact that a dog might have eaten one of the greatest episodes you've recorded, and then you finally find, oh, like, God. you just have to laugh at it. Because if you don't, you end up swallowing all of that. Yeah. And then that eventually will metastasize inside of you. And I think I find myself following artists, bands, companies, anyone that can, like the people in my life that I love the most are the people who can also laugh at how absurd this entire experience is. And I gravitate towards that with sometimes subconsciously. Like I was still learning how to enjoy better things. And then, you know, you start seeing some of the stuff that, that, gets posted in, on social media with Malort. And it's like, it almost makes it more endearing. So I think that that's just an easier way to cope with the crazy experience that is this life. But Charles, what about you? One of the ways I've discovered that I've been taking myself a lot less seriously as I age, is, I think is a lesson in um, relinquishing some of the masculinity I was raised to embody. Sure. And it means that not always presenting myself as a very serious individual, especially around people I'm comfortable with where it's entirely unnecessary. I use exclamation marks in professional emails. Uh, unabashedly, I'm, I'm not ashamed to say that. It's something that I see it when I'm doing it, and I'm like, I don't care. If they don't like me because I'm using exclamation marks, I don't want to work with them. Yeah. How about that? Fuck them, exclamation right. point. Yeah, <laughs> I use exclamation marks. I encourage I encourage other people to do it. Yeah. Fuck them! <laughs> uh, so I, I would say for me, th that's the lesson that I think I've learned is that um, I've always been great at making fun of myself. I'm very self-deprecating. Uh, I would love to continue to be that way, if not more so. I bring it up to Quam a lot. In when when I have production notes, I'm like, let's really let's let's lean into making fun of ourselves because we tell all these cool stories about going to fucking to Polo Bampo, what a cool guy. But I like it when we make fun of ourselves, and I think listeners like to hear that as well when we're poking fun at ourselves mm -hmm. in each other. And I enjoy that element of other programs I listen to, and we're both people who are very comfortable doing it. I think we do a pretty good job of it, but it's just increasing in intensity. Just you know, I'm like, you can you can make fun of me. I'm not gonna get mad. Like he's like, I know that. I know I can make fun of you. But I think that as we age, and I think the lesson is, is true of both Quam and myself and Tremaine, maybe it's true for you, that the older we get, the more we realize, like, you know what, I don't have to pretend to be so serious for people to take me seriously. Yeah. If anything, uh, presenting my authentic self and showing that uh, I don't hold myself in such high esteem that I can't poke a little bit of fun at myself makes people take me more seriously. Because it shows confidence. It shows that you know, you know who you are, you know your skills and your value, and because you're willing to sometimes let strangers uh, see behind the curtain to you poking fun at yourself, it makes them think like, this guy's got it so together that he's he's showing me negative, he's he's presenting negative qualities to me because I can't find them myself. Yeah. And th that's a good thing if you think about it, right? Isn't that a positive quality to have? 
Well, and, and even bringing it back to you, Tremaine, like it's, this is crazy. Like you don't know either one of us here. We are on a podcast. <laughs> I was a little bit like, Oh shit. What, where, which direction are we going to go? <laughs> and when, I mean, obviously Katie was excited about this and I trust her as my friend, but when she told me that, you know, that you called yourself the, the head drinker, it immediately took all the pretension out of the room for me because I knew that this was somebody who could have a little bit of fun with this. Like clearly you wouldn't be where you are right now if you weren't an intelligent business person and knew how to make decisions on growth and capital and all of that. But to just also remind everybody that we can have a little bit of fun with that, like it instantly changed even the way that I was thinking about how this episode would go. So clearly like you have that in there. It was fun to get to hear you talk about that. Well, and it, it it's something as uh so I said the CEO is maybe my least sort of favorite of the titles, but and and it's because it's it's kind of intimidating. Sure. Right? It means that you are, you know, the the head of of the the body of the beast or whatever, <laughs> right? Yeah, I'll go and, with that. And and um but I I really try to I I try to uh and that sounds like very self-contradictory. I try, is a, I try to relax. Beza L organization CEO. Yes. Right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's like being, being, um, showing people that even though you're the quote unquote, the leader of the company or whatever, I think it's, it's much more valuable than to, you know, like raise the flag and go forward to just yeah. go, yeah, I'm kind of a fuck up too, you know, like, yeah. but let's all fuck up together and mm -hmm. be nice to each other when we do. That's amazing. Right. Well, let's try not to fuck up, but together. Well, because yeah. we're fuck-ups yeah. individually. Yeah. Yes. Together, yeah. we are not fuck-ups. <laughs> we're going to fuck up. We don't need to try. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Oh, man. Well, we have, a, we have a new spirit in front of us. And uh, Katie, I believe, this is, uh, this, is, uh, this is wild. I hope so. So this is actually um, the first new classification that the TTB has given out for a spirit since 1947. Yes. Um, it's called Trical, and kind of what they say is Trical is Trical. It doesn't fit in a box. Um, so it is from Patagonia, Chile, and it is the spirit of Patagonia. It is the only craft, craft distillery in Chile. Um, it is distilled um, as a fruit eau de vie from pears, quince, and apple. But then it is infused in the same way that you would do or in a similar way that you could do a gin um, from seven local indigenous herbs and botanicals and four local berries. Uh, absolutely everything. Nothing's cultivated. Everything grows completely wild and naturally within 100 kilometers of the distillery in Patagonia. So what I've been told, I haven't been down there yet. We should all go. Yes. Um, Chile, is that... So. When you walk through the forests in the region that this is from, this is what the forests smell like. The idea was to harvest all of the wow. things that you would, all the sensory experience you would have walking through a forest in Chile to have that be in a bottle. The things I get most out of this are anise and pear. Yeah, so... And it's like um, those elements together just sing. There is a... Um, of the seven botanicals, one of them has similar um, genetic characteristics to anise. But it's not anise. Okay, It's cool. not anise. Yeah, yeah. Um, triple distilled. Um, the All of the botanicals and herbs are extracted, um, distilled to be essential oils in large batches so that they can just harvest as things are ready, but still have it be a consistent spirit. 
So this has healing properties as well because it's got essential oils in it. <laughs> oh, Gwyneth. That is <laughs> like, wow. I, I, I am, I'm at a loss to even figure out like what if somebody asked me like, well, what does it taste like? I don't know that I could come up with anything. Like there is there's definitely like we've talked about on the show before that a lot of cultures around the world have some form of an anisette, mm-hmm. um, you know, as a, a digestif, as as a celebratory drink, whatever it may mm-hmm. be. Um and so immediately my brain wanted to categorize it there. And then everything else, as it lingers on your palate and as you exhale, it shifts it all out of that. And there's definitely, I'm glad you said the eau de vie part of it, because that's definitely in there. But you, yeah, it's, there's I think definitely some things that I've never tasted before that I'm getting where I'm like, I can't even, I don't even know what to compare that to. I mean, we'll have to go to Chile and see uh, what they are. Um, I think the most fun thing for me about it is I've never found a spirit that's quite this much of a mind fuck, which you'll find is every half of my portfolio is I like you hit a certain point where you stop tasting new flavors on a regular basis. And so I'm just trying to find as many new flavors as I can and bring them to Minnesota. But this one, we did a feature a couple weeks ago at Meteor. And one of the bartenders there, Barrett, she made us a ton of classics with this, ranging from things that would normally have brown spirits to white spirits, Mm -hmm. and it worked in all of them. That doesn't surprise me And so for your home bartender, like, you can buy a bottle of this and make all your favorite cocktails without changing a thing. Like, use all the things you already have. Like, we did a Sazerac, we did a Negroni, we did a Jungle Bird, we did a not Pisco, Pisco Sour. My favorite was an Airmail. Oh, yeah. It was... It, it did a different thing, different components of the spirit shown, like shined through in every different cocktail. It was, I don't know, it's fun trying new experiences. I think habitually my mind is trying to compare it to something else. Yeah. And that's why I'm forced, I'm, I'm almost forcing it into a category. I'm ex- yeah, I'm excluding yeah. free thought because I, yeah. that's the first thing I thought too, like, oh, anise, you know? But yeah. then, well, when I smelled it, I was like, anise. Yep. And then when I tasted it, I was like, ooh, pear and anise. Yep. And then the more it sat on my palate, the more I thought about it, I'm like, wow, there's a lot of other fruit present, some other botanicals. That that anise quality is definitely at the forefront among the botanicals. But I would say that if you're a person who doesn't like anise, it, it, it's not that it is super anise. It's just an, an element that is present. It's also something that we're familiar with, so mm, it's easy to jump right, into yeah. that one and pick that up. But out. I know some people, like my wife, don't like anise characteristics. But there's so much else happening in this that's hard to place. It's got a lot of depth. Very cool. Man, that's amazing. Thank you for bringing that. I mean, yeah. Yeah, that's so cool. That The thing that struck me Mm. is the – because to me, I I don't know if this is historically accurate. Um, Does that matter? We don't Uh, have a fact check portion of this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Ben, can you put your crack staff on that? (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. yes. (laughs) But I think of (laughs) – Did you say crack? At least you clapped to the other side of the table where I'm sitting. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You just remember everything. I don't make you look up anything. (laughs) So I think of eau de vie as the original moonshine, Mm -hmm. right? Because, you know, fruit, you know, and yeah. So what I love is that I'm getting, I love a good moonshine wang in a spirit. Like if it's, if it's appropriately placed. And this to me has got that just right underneath I'm getting like that raw um, fruit distillate mm-hmm. that is a really great base. So it's, yeah. it's like, the, and that's cool. I mean, you know, when, when you file it under water of life, like that's, <laughs> yeah. that's, it, that's absolutely it. And that's, it gets to the roots of, of distilling, you know, when it, 
obviously there's there's fermented fruit that people were using, but also as it became more of like a, a product through um, Arabic perfume makers, like this is it's the essence of of why we make things. This is it's it's spectacular. That's just that's incredible. You know, the other thing that that w- leapt in my head when I first tasted it was this is um, uh, this is Patagonian Aquavit. Mm-hmm. Right? That's, I mean, I, I <laughs> being the, the good Scandinavian boy that I am, I try to pull everything to uh, some sort of tangential relationship to Akavit. <laughs> but yeah, I, I absolutely, I mean, you know, distilling the spirit in that way and then adding in local like herbs, spices, fruits, like that's, I mean, that's the essence of that and, and gin and all that. Yeah, that's there. Oof. Oh, there we go. Teppa. That's a beautiful plant. So that's what's giving it sort of that uh, that anisette f- uh, scent. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. So we should we'll jump into the question. Um, so Tremaine, uh, what is something that you obsess over? Like it could be a hobby. It could be something uh, intellectual. It could be uh, something professional. Is there something that like you almost can't stop yourself? Like you have to keep digging a little bit farther and have to keep going. Ooh. Wow. Um. I'm going to let Charles answer that first. I need to think about that a little. Sure. It'll come as no surprise to any of our listeners that my answer is foodstuffs, uh, preparing food. I I get highly scientific about making various things and like really digging my heels in and doing it the right way. Uh, this weekend, I'm processing a bunch of mushrooms that I recently per- procured, and last night I hurriedly uh, packed these like <laughs> boxes of mushrooms to the to the door in my fridge. I have my takis, morels, and porcinis packing my fridge right now. And my wife doesn't even like mushrooms, so that's the extra fun part. Like, <laughs> hey, you can't use the fridge because it's full of the food that you hate. <laughs> so the, it, it's always something like that. And she just kind of shakes her head like, oh, this shit again. I have a bunch of spices hitting the door because I'm making a black lime shichimi togarashi this weekend as well for my newest obsession. Well, one of like 11 the summer of uh, making yakitori on my new yakitori grill. Mm. And uh, I got Szechuan peppercorns from Peter Bien at uh, Saturday Dumpling Club. I ordered some black lime from Burlap and Barrel. I got spices from 20 different locations. Uh, Sancho pepper, which I bought a kilogram of because $60 a kilogram was cheaper than buying a small jar that costs like 25 bucks. <laughs> so just doing the study for that. Actually, Marty walked in on me uh, laboring on my laptop on the couch last week and was like, what are you so pained about? You're not usually working this late. And I was like, well, I'm trying to figure out where I order black lime from, but I need sesame seeds, black and white. And I don't know where to get Sancho Pepper. And she's like, I have never heard a more Charles thing than what you said. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's really that. That's something I guess I probably obsess in terms of things that don't have to do with my, my daily work. And I'm a creative director. We do marketing and, and creative services at my business. The, of course, I obsess about that. But that's a professional thing in terms of like professional passion. The thing, bar none, that I obsess about the most would be uh, preparation of of food and like every intricate detail of trying to get things to be like historically accurate or culturally accurate or put my own spin on it too. The other thing is that's a way I keep from like trying to be better than someone at something that I'll never be as good at them at is making it my own, which is that element of putting black lime in my 
Shichimi Togarashi. That's stuff that I just get really, really fucking excited about. Can that be the title of your book when you write it? What's that? <laughs> Putting Black Lime in the Shichimi Togarashi. That's a long title. Hey. <laughs> I limit. I usually limit titles to six syllables. That's fine. I just feel when like... When I come up with beer names, six syllables is my limit. That's yeah, but the, the subtitle could be things I get really fucking excited there about. There you go. Right. I mean, I literally, if I just saw that I'll put an written... exclamation mark on the title. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anything pop in your brain? Or yeah, you this is going to... Okay, so um, this is going to be very revealing of myself, which is that um, I get, I when I was thinking about it while you were talking and listening to you, I was like, oh my God, you know what it is? Accounting. Hey. Yeah. That's I, legit. Like, I, so I, one of my other roles as CEO is to do all the shit that nobody else in the company wants to do because I've got an amazing, you know, head of production. I've got amazing people in sales and marketing. And, um, and so I just do all like all that other shit that you need to run a business and accounting happens to be one of them, which I really, really like if I being really honest, it's like, it's like solving a puzzle. You know, you have, you have your balance sheet, your P and L, your cash flow statement, you have all these transactions you've got. Oh, it's just it. I will, I will just disappear happily into my computer for two hours and just like on accounting shit. That's, I mean, that's awesome though. It's also yeah. necessary. My, my wife is very type a, and if she could live in a world of Excel spreadsheets, like watching her, when she's color coding a, a spreadsheet for a financial document, it's like watching in the movies when they don't show the screen and somebody's just clacking away on the keyboard and they're like, enhance, enhance. I don't even know what she's doing. She's it's using like Rainbow Road and Mario Kart. Yeah, she's got like like shortcuts and, and, and hot drops and she can write formulas while like talking to me or like listening to some dumb mundane story that I'm telling. It's amazing. And in our relationship, like that's necessary. You know, she refers to me as like a watercolor and she's like an adult coloring book with like an intricate drawing where you have to use fine tip. Like that's, that's us. And the reason it works is because of that. You can't have two of me <laughs> and you probably shouldn't have two of her. Like it's just, it works when there's that balance and you need people like that. Everybody, well, I shouldn't say everybody. There are plenty of creative people and there are plenty of people who ground it and keep everything tethered. And I think that that's especially given your roles <laughs> and that you can have fun being able to obsess about that. Yeah. Huge. I actually, for a while, um, and I, I did have to like cut, cut down on this a little bit, but I would, I'd be like, okay, cool. Tonight I'm closing May. Right. And my, my wife would go to bed, be, you know, 1030. And I would sit at the kitchen counter with my computer. I'm picturing a, you like looking through the door and be like, <laughs> Because <laughs> you're about to go do account. Yeah, it's like, honey, Bye. honey, are you going to bed? Are you going to bed? And I would sit there with a bottle of mezcal. Yes, and okay. just, just like be giddy by the Yola. End. Uh. Ridiculous. Yeah, that's amazing. That's awesome. Uh, that. Mine's also a bit rote, uh, surprising nobody. Uh, my obsession is music. What? No, hang on. But since when? But I will say that. I, I do, I, I go deeper than most people do in dives to, to, to find out about the artists that I really love. That's something that I very much enjoy. But what I have been doing in the last year is trying to find more information about the roots of all of the music that I love. Mm. And we are- Stylistically or like band members? All together, everything. Okay. Because for me, we're in this era right now where podcasts have become a thing. Uh, and there are a lot of people still alive to tell the tales of what was going on in the 50s, 60s, and 70s 
where a lot of the music that I love traces its roots to. And not that I didn't love some of the bigger artists from those areas and I, er, eras, and I grew up on that, but not, I, I didn't understand exactly like the story arc of how certain people influenced certain albums being made. And then this guy played on that. And then these guys got together and that all led to the sample in the hip hop song that I love very much. It's, it's fascinating. And, and I just feel so fortunate to have been as obsessed as I've been since my, uh, like, I don't know, eight, nine, 10 years old to have gotten to know the music in my lifetime so well, but now to have all of these people kind of wanting to tell their story before maybe it's too late to talk about all of that and where the roots of all these things come from, um, especially looking at uh, people of color who were basically written out of any stories because all that all they would let talk about were the A&R artists that found them and then the label heads who got famous for you know, those, those albums. But finding the session players that got $100 to play on records that are still playing today and still being sampled today by hip-hop, that to me is, is wonderful. And it's, it's so rare to have a time where you can still hear those voices. You know, um, even looking at somebody like uh, Bonnie Raitt, who uh, just put out a new record, and all of the interviews she's been doing she's been talking about how important it is to get these blues legends who a lot of whom were still left in poverty because they never made anything, getting them out before they pass away to tell their story and to play songs and Questlove and all the things that his team is doing with their podcast. They're finding artists that their names aren't going to get people to listen, but his name is enough to magnify them and then have them on and talk about what it was like right. coming up in these eras where the songs could be wildly famous, the albums could sell millions of copies, but all the people playing the music on it made next to nothing. And they got yeah, to tour around the hidden, world. Hidden in the Shadows and yeah. you know, an old favorite band of mine um, when I was a teenager, Nora, I think I brought this up on the podcast, has a song called No One Takes Pictures of the Drummer. Yep. I think I brought that up on NJ's yeah. episode. Isn't that interesting? And then... I was telling you how one of the reasons I uh, love Tidal as a platform is because of how easily accessible it is to see all those credits. Yep. So you see every musician, every writer, every producer, like touring or studio. It shows you, you just, you just click the, the song title and it's all right there for you. I wish mm -hmm. every music platform did that. Well, it's not just the front man. Yes. And, and some noise behind and, it. And an adorable picture that somebody took and then that became the thing. Yeah. Like, and, and then knowing what went what people went through in the studio when they were trying to innovate and they were trying to come up with something different that all of that fascinates me because it's coloring in the background of my favorite art. And I think anything, when you start to learn about the roots of where it came from, it, it makes your love of that thing even deeper when you can really trace back like how long it took for us to get to here where I found it and loved it. Now for me, I want to trace that back. And I do that with food. I do that with comedy. I do that with film. I do that with books. But music, it's just a completely different level uh, to the point where like I have to, like Jenny will ask me a question and then immediately my wife will ask me a question and then immediately pause it. I want the small or the medium answer. I don't, I don't need the you answer. So like <laughs> she wants bullet points. Like let's, let's fill out some, some, some cells in the Excel spreadsheet. There's no room for paragraphs. I want keywords. I want dates. Tell me that. And then we're good. And I love that we have that dialogue. Say less. Yes, well, exactly. You, you have, you have what would be stereotypical gender reversal. Correct. Right. 100%. Yeah. It's, it's, it's legit. Uh, okay. Tuesday, 730 Mara. Right. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> it's sold. Anyway. 
Uh, yeah. So what are we hitting next? Ooh, what do we got here, Jade? Um, well, just touching back on what you just said, uh, there's a story about my grandfather that is now true for all of his sons, including my dad. But it was that um, you ask him what time it is, and he'll tell you how to build a watch. <laughs> <laughs> I like him already. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, that's great. Um, so that's that's my family. <laughs> I, I cannot <laughs> so that, wait. That, to that tell whole story <laughs> rings so true. I cannot wait to tell Jenny that. <laughs> She's gonna yeah, use it. That's great. You can have it. Um so <laughs> we are drinking uh Siwatan rum. So Siwatan is the valley in El Salvador where this rum distillery is. And this is a rum that is very low carbon footprint because it is completely seed to glass. So all of the sugar cane is being grown in El Salvador. They own the sugar mill. And so it's being, you know, the sugar cane's being processed. They're distilling right there. They're barrel aging and bottling all in El Salvador. Um, All the cane comes from all around their distillery from all the local farmers. They buy from everyone. Um, And using the bagasse left over after their fermentation and distillation, they're able to generate energy to completely power their distillery. Um, and it's really delicious rum. It's the only rum distillery in El Salvador. Uh, no additives, no sugar added post distillation, which is not yeah. common for rum. Um, it's one of those things where it's like rum is made from sugar. And so it doesn't get put on a label when extra sugar is added after it, it's distilled. Sure. Okay. Um, Fun trick if anyone's feeling like a science project. Uh, if you put a little bit of rum on your hands, rub them together. Everyone's tried where like that's an aromatic, but rub them until it's dry. If your hands aren't sticky, no sugar in that spirit. Mm, sure. Really? Yeah, that mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Never yeah. would think to do that. They put a lot of uh, attention in the packaging too, because that, that front label, the die cut on there is fucking crazy yeah so we're having the sahu mario which is one of their limited releases and everything that they do is very tied into their culture very hyper local so huge mayan culture in el salvador and a sahu mario is a traditional vessel where in mayan culture you will burn kind of like incense different herbs and flowers and plants and each different thing that you might burn represents something that you would wish to the gods for so be it love or prosperity or fertility or anything else, there's something that represents that thing that you're asking for. And so the head distiller, Gabriella, she wanted to create a rum that smelled like a household if you walked in and they were burning their Sahu Mario. So the most common mm-hmm. things to be burned in a Sahu Mario. So she did, this is a blend of four single barrels, all new oak, ranging from 12 to 14 years, where the combination of these four barrels got her there to that aroma and to that memory wow. for her. I was scanning the back of the label, so I saw what was in it, and now that I take a smell of this, it's I don't know precisely what that smells like, but you can see how it smells like like some sort of, yeah, yeah uh, maybe like a, um, a bonfire or like burning incense or something like that, some combination of those elements. Yeah, I got smoke and floral and cocoa, yep. a little bit of citrus peel. It's yeah, there's like a um, like a brulee banana note in there that I really really love, but like the cooked where the sugars caramelize a little bit, mm-hmm. I that is that is fan- again like well, every single thing you've poured that is absolutely fantastic. Well, cheers, yeah. Cheers. cheers. 
And uh, just to remind listeners of the program, we always link everything that we consume uh, in the description of the podcast. Yep. So if you click the the broader description on whatever platform you're on, there are links to each of the things that we are consuming. So you can at least read the title and then seek it out in mm-hmm. your local market or click the link to the producer, which I always link directly to the producer, and then read about it uh, on their their website as well and please if you if you end up buying one of these bottles or multiple (laughs) of these bottles uh let us know too like we want to know what everybody's drinking out there uh this is definitely a a team sport so for us i think it's fantastic when people give me feedback on on things they really liked or things that they didn't like i don't want to know unless you're sharing that's me though (laughs) that's fair Yeah, exactly. Like when somebody doesn't well, like something. Sh- yeah, they can hate it, but as long as I get some, then <laughs> I'll pretend. I just, I just tell me why. Tell me yeah. what you don't like. Tell me why. Twice back to back episodes. I was thinking it and you We're on sang a it. Yeah, there yeah. We go. We're on a streak. We're on a boy band streak. Uh, I mean, episode, second episode, Backstreet's back. All right. Boy band, All right, boy band Benny. That's enough, yeah. <laughs> All right, question number five. And I don't know if this will resonate with you, but I think everyone's got one. What is your favorite British insult? Because they just have better insults. They're so much better than us at this. (laughs) You can't think of anything, Tremaine. We can can go around the bend because I got one I'm using nonstop. I'm just going to throw in a trigger warning that Uh I'm going to say a word that some people are not going to like. He's going to say cunt. Yeah, I am. Oh, you stole mine. Well, go for it. Because mine's in a a combo. It's it's, It's not just that word alone. Okay, so I graduated from college in 1987 and had no fucking idea what I was going to do with myself. I had somehow, I started off as a classical guitar major and realized I wasn't good enough at classical guitar to be able to make a living. Tremaine, which only like fucking fascinating. Four people. I have so many more questions <laughs> the, off, off air from this podcast. All right, sorry, go ahead. So after, after deciding that I wasn't going to be able to make a living make, playing classical guitar or teaching it, I got an econ degree. You know, next logical extension. I mean, right? same, same. <clears throat> so did that, and then like, More yeah, okay, in a different way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. No, math and numbers. Yeah. I mean, math and music. Wow, math and numbers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's question five. You're still, you know. you're still counting. <laughs> <Five. laughs> so I bought a one-way ticket to London, and um, because you could get a work visa, I think you still actually can as a student or a recent graduate. And I just thought, well, I'll get there and um, I'll get a job. So I got there and then I immediately like was like, well, I have like, you know, $800. I can probably make that last in Greece for a month or two. So I did. <laughs> and then I came back to London yeah. and I got there and I had like, you know, probably 20 bucks left, something like that. And um, an aunt who would let me stay for, it, it's the word aunt when it's in London. Mm. Uh, otherwise I say aunt, yeah. like a good Bostonian. Sure, sure, sure. Um, but, uh, and she was like, you can stay for three nights. So uh, I was like, this sucks. So I want to, I'm going to go home. So I went to a travel agency, what they call a bucket shop in <laughs> London. Okay. And okay. yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> another way more interesting word. Exactly. Yeah. Travel agency. Uh, that's which, right. Go down into the bucket shop. Then. Which probably actually is an insult. <laughs> yeah. Now that I think about it, right? Rhyming slang. But um, <laughs> I'm so, going to call somebody yeah. a bucket shop. Yeah. <laughs> Look at this fucking bucket shop. Look at this bucket shop okay, over we here. We don't know if we're saying something terrible right now, by the way. Just so we, already, we already put the disclaimer out. We have, yes. we have listeners in Europe. We don't know. Forgive us. Yeah. Forgive us. We know what not our sins are. Uh, so 
I went to the bucket shop and said, do you have any tickets back to, um, where was I going? Yeah. California. Yeah. And they said, or anywhere in the States. Yeah. And they said, okay. no, we're sold out for like another month. And I said, well, do you need help? And they said, yes. And so I borrowed another like $10 or 10 pounds from my aunt, my aunt, and went and bought a suit and went back on Monday and got a job as a travel agent. Okay. And this is a little bit of a long story. No. So great. we're getting there. So, like, uh, so now I'm like, got so any fascinated by you. So, oh my gosh. All right. I'm going to tell you the slightly long version. Since, Do it. You know. No, you right. hear it. So, so now all of a sudden I have a job and I can live in London. This is amazing. Yeah. So I, I, I do this travel agent thing for a while and bounce around. I ended up, so when I was in Greece, I had met these, um, this really fun group of people from Australia as you do when you're as traveling. You do. And um, I did, they happened to be on the boat coming back to England. I ran into them. They're like, ah, here's where we're staying. I won't do the accent. And, um, and so I called them about a month later and met up with them. And they're like, I won't, I won't do the accent. We're getting a squat. Are you interested? I'm like, what's a squat? I said, well, this is where you get to live rent-free. I'm like, yes. <laughs> so I lived in a squat in Bethnal Green as a travel agent in London at 23 years old. Okay, and was having a, gr- in a, a flat, great as you're For sure. Yeah. And so this was like, I was like, and I was the only one who had a job. So I would get up and like, I would get up at like four in the morning and turn on the, the electric water heater and then go back to bed so that there was enough hot water so I could take a bath in the morning before I put on my little suit. At which point and did you realize you were living with squatters? Yeah, it was amazing. These yeah. guys were, they were, were so... Were they squatters? They, they were squatters. I was a squatter. I, it was nice. so crafty. And so yeah. we got away from... Squatter by association. Yeah. No, no, I was, I was right there with them. Yeah. So anyway, all right. So we'll accelerate squatter. the story. So I did fine in the travel agent job, but eventually um, I got, well, not fired, but sort of fired. So I had to find another job, and this will lead to an answer to your question. Your future endeavored. Yes, yeah. and so I went to a temp agency, and um, they said, well, do you have any accounting skills? Oh. And I said, well, I did take accounting in college, and they said, okay, take this quiz. So I had to fill out the journal <laughs> entries from the transactions, and I did this, and I gave it back to the, the gal, and she's going through, and she's wrong, 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 wrong. She got about halfway through, and she's like, well, you have the debits and credits mixed up. And I just looked at her, and I said, oh, that's how we do it in the States. Uh, <laughs> and she gave me 100 on it, and that's how my... Like month and date. <laughs> month yeah. and date. Same yeah, thing. Yeah, same thing. <laughs> Debtor and credit. She's <laughs> like, oh, you, got, yeah. you thought you, you got know. everyone wrong. It turns out you got Plus, everyone right. Minus. He's a genius. <laughs> so they placed me at oh a God. firm of insurance loss adjusters. You want to talk about obscure. And I worked in the accounting department. Now, this was literally, you know, like upstairs, downstairs. They had a house uh, off the black line and and the northern line. And literally, like the, you know, the executives and partners had offices upstairs. And then the accounting department was down in the basement. So this is where I learned rhyming slang. (laughs) Yes. Yes. From John Kitchener. Uh, just straight out of like a Monty Python, you know, sketch. Just so you know, I couldn't make that work. I just work. use my hands. The, this, the, I hope the struggle is getting picked oh, up on the, the mic. The, the, yeah, oh, the, that's a nice the, ice cube. The ice to tong ratio. Uh, Thank yeah, you to Mr. Eric Eastman. MN Pure Clear Ice that are just entering the Chicago marketplace. Yep. Ooh, very nice. Done a couple weeks little ago. little synergy. There you are, sir. Thank you. Uh, I just got to say, right. this is the most roundabout way to say that you bumped your knee to a table and yelled cunt. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. So end so, of story. So John, so, so John, 
John teaches you rhyming so, slang? So I'll give you a couple. So one was, uh, hey, I'm wearing my whistle today. And what, what the hell is that, John? We have whistle and flute, suit. And then one day I heard him oh. call somebody a Burke. And um, uh, John, what's that? And he said, oh, Berkshire Hunt. Oh, so it's a, a tr- little trickery. There we go. Oh, that's, that's like that's, that's like a parent swearing in, yeah, but yeah. in the UK. Burke. Yeah, Burke. Burke. Oh, oh, and the other one was in in, in southern Spain. Yeah, like I I was did a semester there and lived with this wonderful lady, single mom, and she would constantly say "coño," like like just rolling it off, like it, you know, like we will say ah, "shit." Yeah, and. Yeah, Konya is the same thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So, <laughs> there. That was my very long that's, answer. That, Love I, it. Again, I, I, those are, that's my kind of story because I, <laughs> I need all of the fun color to, to get drawn around before you get there. That's, that's perfect. Oh. I just got to say I was laughing for most of it because I was really hoping that somehow at the end he was going to say that. He, on the way out, as he packed his bags to come back to California, he bumped his knee into a table. And like, ah! <laughs> so, if, if this technically isn't British, but the the that'd best, be like a sorry, that'd be like an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yes, it would. Yeah. Yes, that would like roll sorry. that roll yeah. the theme song as soon as that happens. Um, yeah, my uh, it was the first time that I heard a Scottish person mm. use the phrase, you daft kunt, which oh, okay. we all agreed has to be with two O's, not a U. And it has to be daft because it's technically, it's a swear, but it's like a good swear. Like, you're a good fucker. Like, that, uh, yeah. I love, daft kunt became a thing that we ran with forever. I had a, a friend of mine who was working on his graphic design degree, and he, he redid the daft punk logo to just be Daft Kunt. And at, I mean, I oh, had that. See, I predicted it. Yes, wow. you did. I had that on two <laughs> laptops. But if we have to go with a, like a, an actual British curse, I love the, the dichotomy between bollocks and the dog's bollocks. I'm fascinated by it. I've always been fascinated by it. To call something bollocks uh, as balls is shite. It's shit. But then if you say it's the dog's bollocks, that's the greatest thing ever. Oh. And I, I will never understand how that duality works. And the closest I've ever gotten was literally a friend of mine from uh, Middlesbrough saying, that's just how it is, man. Like, you just got to deal with it. <laughs> bollocks is shite. Dog's bollocks is fucking great. What's so hard about it? <laughs> and then he started ripping into me about all of our different pronunciations of things. And I'm like, okay, I get it. Plus, you guys just use fuck for everything. So, meh. But yeah, the the duality between bollocks and the dog's bollocks is fascinating and wonderful. And uh, and when in doubt, I will always revert to the greatest line in the movie Eurotrip, which is, so I give it a toss at the tradesman's entrance and I have her lick me apples. And it's just the most beautiful, sing-songy, big, horribly big dirty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I got all of what he said, totally. <laughs> and, right? Yeah, didn't, Tremaine, didn't we get the all <laughs> It, I will never not love that sentence. This, yeah, say it again, but say it in English, American English. So I gives her a toss in the uh, tradesman's entrance, and then I had her lick me apples. That alone as a couple. You couldn't even say the last part without doing it. Right. <laughs> yeah, had, <to laughs> had her, her lick, lick me, me apples. apples. All right. And oh. you can figure out where the tradesman's come in then, and you can probably figure out what apple he's licking. So there you are. Oi. Give her a toss at the tradesman's entrance and I have it like me apples. <laughs> it's, it's like Dr. Seuss, X-rated. 
Were you wearing your whistle? Yeah, <laughs> no, might have been. I mean, she's a bit of a burk. <laughs> Charles, that took me a second. Apologies to all second. women <laughs> everywhere. Again, I, this isn't something like we're not celebrating it. Charles asked the question, and I'm going to be honest. Uh, I fucking love this. It. This makes me realize that a lot of the swears or insults uh, in the UK are made better by an appendage word, including my own entry, which alone is funny. But when you add the appendage word. It's way better, mm-hmm. and I've been using it a lot lately. Absolute Muppet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolute Muppet. I usually use that to refer to politicians. We won't say who. Oh, beautiful. Absolute Muppet is fucking hilarious. It's like, perfect. It's so good, and 10 years ago, I'd have been like, that's terrible, but now I'm a huge fan of it, so I call it, that's it. I get, That's my whole entry. <laughs> this fucking app, this fucking Absolute Muppet. It's just, why does that sound so impactful? Perfect. It's, Even though it's practically meaningless if you think about it but it's amazing An absolute muppet there is i think it still exists on Bandcamp, but there was uh, an ep put out by a couple of djs uh that i was friends with who moved to uh london mm. and it was muppets and trollops and oof. Muppets <laughs> i don't know what a trollop is but yeah. what a great I'm word just, i'm just gonna go ahead and say you can google that one on your own neither of the words are nice <laughs> well Here's to whatever candy apple <laughs> thing that Quam was talking about before. To the tradesman's entrance. And, uh, <laughs> and, and empty buckets? What were we talking about before? <laughs> the travel agency? Bucket shop. The bucket shop. The bucket shop. This one's going out to all the bucket shops out there, right? Yeah, so you. All sixes and sevens, batch eight and nines, aren't you? <laughs> I have no idea what's going on. That's, a, that's another amazing one. He was sixes and sevens, about his eights and nines. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah, you, yeah. Yeah. yeah, mate. That's right, isn't it? Ooh. <laughs> Katie, will you please tell us about this delightful spirits? Yeah, this one elicited a silent fuck out of me. <laughs> it did. I loved it. Um, so I'm going to tell you what's in your glass, but then I'm going to pass it off to Tremaine to tell you about um, what happens to what's in your glass. <laughs> is this where we find out we've been drugged <laughs> going down like a couple of muppets then <laughs> i mean based on the last 20 minutes of the podcast i feel like you should know by now yeah. that's fair that's fair <laughs> so um we are drinking a single barrel bourbon um from ch that um when I was at the distillery a few weeks ago they were kind enough to gift me a bottle that they pulled straight from a barrel and so this is that bottle. So it is um, from MGP. It's a six-year. It is 21% rye, 4% barley, and 75% corn. Mm. Um, so Jepson. Mm. That equals um, the percentage on the label. Yeah, yeah. it's how math works. Um, 100% percentage <laughs> alcohol. 100% love. And, and, I'm not an accountant. And it is 60.57%. <laughs> Right. So, um, is my math right, Jermaine? We're feeling not? great. <laughs> um, so, oh. Jepson um, does a bourbon, and they also offer a single barrel program. And this is one that they had that we are now drinking. But I will let Jermaine talk about the Jepson bourbon and barrel my, program. I need my own Malort single barrel. Pill. Yeah, Jermaine, this is breathtaking. <laughs> well, and you I know why? Try. It's because. We didn't make it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like we, we, this is a, th- there are a couple of examples of mistakes 
that how wonderful mistakes are in this um, product. So one is we made a batch of bourbon when we were up and running for maybe two or three months. And um, well, first of all, the corn broke the mill, but that's another story. And (laughs) then we made the bourbon and we put it in a barrel and we're like, and then we got busy with everything else. And so about a year later we came back to it and we're like, I wonder how the bourbon is. And it sucked. I mean, just like the worst ever. And we're like, all right, well, let's just not do that again. Was it the drizzling shits? It, yes, okay, it was. That's a good insult. I think we got that one. Though. Yeah. USA. Yeah. USA. Yeah. <laughs> so that was when we decided to not make our own bourbon and yep. instead like buy it from other distillers sure. that really know what they're doing. And, you know, we, we were one of the early ones who were honest on our label. Literally, we said, we did not make this bourbon, but, you know, you should buy it because it tastes good. And just sold it at a fair price and all that stuff. Why and more people don't do that? It, it blows me away. You don't have to lie to people. Like, just be honest about it and say, but it's really good. Yeah. People will buy it. There's, I, yeah. And it's actually, um, I was chatting with um, one of one of the uh, really great liquor stores here in town that we went to see today at, at yeah, say it again. Certix. Yeah, we were at Certix. And we were chatting um, about how the fact, actually, that at this point, people are, they don't care if you made it or not. They just care if it's good. Yes. So that's that's actually really good because that means that people have moved on and, and also brands, I think, yeah. have moved away from, yeah. you know, the whole, you know, make cooking up some story about yeah. what I wrote a long-form feature for The Growler five years ago. Uh, it's a beer magazine. Called Distilling, mm-hmm. Distilling mm-hmm. a Definition. Well, it was at that point a year and more. It's called Distilling a Definition, and it was about what makes a, a craft spirit a craft spirit. I think I ruffled some feathers because I pointed out in that feature that some things were not sourced where they were purported to be sourced right. from, even though, you know, you should be able to like clearly espouse that. If someone, if someone comes to your bar and they say, did you make this here? You do have to answer the question truthfully. And I'm sure many of those places do, but I think they weren't accustomed to it being published, but I, I agree with you. And, and it's yeah. important that now we can say, Someone is doing a better job than us, Charles. So I re- I read that article. Oh my gosh, that That's just awesome. came back to me. Like there it is. Holy cow! Cool. And I remember thinking, "Fucking yeah, this is great." Because there was bullshit cool. to be called, and um, yeah, a little moment of kismet on the podcast. I like that. That's fantastic. <laughs> you like to do that? Here. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Um, so um, so then the so the first mistake was like having the the audacity to think we could make bourbon. You know, um, that mistake one, fine. So we recovered from that by going, all right, well, let's hire, you know, other people who are really good at it. I love that you said stuff. it's not working because too many businesses are too proud to say that. Fact. No, yeah. It, it, you know, know, know your strengths. Mm-hmm. So then, all right, so then roll forward. So we ended up buying lots of barrels and, you know, kind of held on to it. And um, so then uh, in the uh, fall of 2019, um we had branded our bourbon as CH, you know, we didn't make it, but it tastes really good and it was doing okay. Then we had, then we had like, the light went on and we we're like, let's um, shamelessly exploit the Jepson's brand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, feeling our oats. And, yeah. um, and so we decided Jepson's bourbon and, you know, we had these really beautiful barrels. We made a lovely blend. Our uh, Tyrus who had worked like a, dog in the on the bottling line and cleaning tanks and all of this and i knew he had a really good bourbon palate uh, and love bourbon i said dude you want to be a bourbon blender and he was like "Uh uh-huh 
and he's amazing at it. Yeah. It's really fantastic. But anyway, so we launched it on April 1st, 2020. Oops. And had um, the so brilliant... It's your fault. Yeah. Oh. We had the brilliant idea to take the Malort label and basically just copy it and say, you know, bourbon instead. Okay. And... It, which was, and people took it as a complete April Fool's joke. Sure. Which we didn't even think about. And, <laughs> right? Like, so, like so this is how dumb we are. You know, like. Oh, my God, I love it. And, but it was good bourbon. Yeah. But we kept, like, so over the last couple of years, you know, it's done pretty well, except we keep getting these questions like, does it have Malort in it? Like, it okay. says straight bourbon on it. Yep. No. But after a while, we realized that we really had fucked up. I, I guess see where I, the confusion comes from. Yeah, you know? exactly. So we're now in the process of rebranding, um, uh, excuse me, re, redoing the label. Still yeah. be Jepson's bourbon, but, a, you know, a more normal whiskey-looking sure. type of sure. label. Right. So, I mean, a little more distinctive as its own product. Yeah. <clears throat> we've, ta- we've talked yeah. about it on the show before. Um, we, we've both done barrel aging of things. And I got into during COVID, uh, a lot of the spirit companies had their little like three and five liter barrels oh, yeah. that were supposed to be for bars. Baby but, barrels. Yeah. But when, when COVID hit, we knew once it, once we realized it wasn't going to be like a two week vacation and then everybody goes back, uh, those barrels wouldn't survive without liquid in them. They get dry and brittle and then they start to crack. something in them. And I was fortunate enough to have some incredible friends in the spirits industry who just were like, will you just do something with it so that, um, so that I know that it went to a, a good place. And I started making barrel blends and then would let them sit for, you know, a couple months in there because, because of the surface area, it extrapolates out. So it's a couple of years, but it really was fascinating watching how much it changed. And all it came down to was, did you, did you make a good blend? Like you can have a bunch of great products and pour them all in equally and it still might taste worse than any of them individually. You have to figure out how to make everything sing in harmony like a producer of, of music. Sorry, that's a me thing. <clears throat> but you have to make everything like work together for it to really balance out. And at this proof, uh, now albeit we poured it over a rock, but at this proof, like this is absolutely beautiful. Now this this one is a single okay. barrel, which um, actually <laughs> I is, I get it. I just saw the label. Of yeah, the, right. The, like, like I understand yeah. the confusion. A yeah, bit. like uh, that. Just yeah. Now I look at that and go, what that? What were we thinking? But, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's all right. You know, you move on. Yeah. Um, but th- the one that we're drinking right now is a single barrel, um, and one that uh, Tyrus actually selected, and then um, this is actually an exclusive bottling for. A liquor for Southside Liquors in Iowa. Mm. Yeah, oh, really. Yeah. Okay. So oh, if yeah. you're in I Iowa, the, the neck label right there. If you're in Iowa, go go, go right now to Southside Liquors and demand your bottle of Jeff's. Run, Charlie. This is legitimately <laughs> really good. Like in in terms of bourbons, uh, yeah, that's a very good. And, and so this was a the whole thing was allocated to that liquor. Fourteen store. cases. Yeah, yeah, that's that's all that's that we amazing. got. Cool. Yeah, yeah, that's very good. Well, should we get to our final question? We shall. We shall. All right. Tremaine, I feel like you may have something to say on this one. Um, Malort as a spirit. I can hope so. Is polarizing. <laughs> like, I think that's the nice way to put it. Yeah, okay. Um, why, do, why do you think so many people have a tough time understanding the spirit? Uh, and then why are all of them wrong? <laughs> because they are. 
So, so, Wait, was that a question or a statement? Both. <laughs> I think it's both, yeah. Really, really. <laughs> That's accurate. Like, it's it's fun to joke around about, and I, I do love, like, the, the thing of, like, if you're first time in Chicago, somebody's going to buy you a Malort, and then they're all going to watch, and like, ha, ha, ha. But mm. I also feel like we need to do a little like on our end as consumers, we need to do more to also say, yes, that's a fun thing, but this is a great spirit. Like, is there, when you're talking about really why you love it, why it was intriguing to you and why you spent five years interviewing to eventually end up getting to, to own this brand, what is it that you love about it? Like, let, let's, let's honestly sell this to, to folks because I, I truly, truly love the spirit. Well, first of all, why people... Um, revile it is it's a it's a a bit of a just fun psychological thing right like you you love to punk your friends right and flavors are because you you can't look at something like a a spirit and know what it's going to taste like so you hand somebody oh i like one of the popular games is um you'll it's called um malort roulette and so what you'll do is order uh shots of like Jameson, something that's very similar in color, and then but one of them will be Malort, right? And so then it goes around the table, and you know somebody gets the Malort, and they're like, "Ah, oh, right, <laughs> yeah." And so it, it's got a lot of that, like people love to hate things, mm-hmm. but yes. they don't really hate it, but they love that the fact that like they oh, here's the the perfect word they over exaggerate, yep. right? Yeah, yeah. And so Leaning that's in. that's a lot of what really just drives the uh, all of the chatter about, you know, Malort being the worst tasting thing you've ever had and blah, blah, blah. Now, when I really evaluate, I know exactly what it is, and which is that Malort is very bitter, right? Mm-hmm. And bitter is, is something that your, um, your palate is trained to tell you, or it's not even trained, it's, it's baked into your DNA yes. that if it's bitter, it's poison, right? And so bitter is an acquired taste and you know uh, plenty of people don't experience bitter things in their normal uh cuisine or or beverage and so they're just not used to it and so when it hits them they're like you know fuck that's poison right sure but something's um, wrong now (laughs) i don't do you remember uh, jeffrey steingarten the food writer yeah 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 so i i remember he in one of his one of his books was talking about he's a very is a very adventurous eater um, but the one thing that he did not like is kimchi. He could not wow. take kimchi. And, really? he re- and he called himself out on this. He was like, I'm going to learn how to like kimchi. And so he wrote this whole like, you know, article about his journey to train himself to accept kimchi first. And then in, in the end, he ends up loving it and it becomes obsessed by it because mm-hmm. you know, that's who he is. Oh, how cool is that? Yeah. I've, I've never seen that. I would love to read about that. It's, like it's a, probably, a from, the, journey right probably there. from the 80s or yeah. 90s. So did you write and like a series about this? Is it was, I, I think it was in one of his compilations where yeah. he has a lot of his, his, has, his articles. Like, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's multiple essays checking in at different times. And then when he finally comes around on the other end and falls in love with it, that's like the love letter to like pushing through. Yeah. And so I think about that a lot because bitter is a, is a flavor that you have to decide to approach and have enough of it to eventually where you go, huh, okay, that I can now taste the other things that are going on. And that to me is where Malort becomes glorious. It is, I think it is absolutely gorgeous. 
I love drinking it. I, and here's why. It's got that, I, the bitter backbone to me, actually, it's 35% alcohol. So it's not, it's not super high in alcohol. The wormwood and the bitter provide the backbone behind the alcohol. And then what you get floating over the top of it is all these really subtle um, floral and grapefruit and menthol and dill. I yes. heard sunflower seeds the other day um, in the wormwood. Okay. And so you get to basically like suck on a wormwood plant, Yeah, you know, which is a really awesome thing to do. I mean, it's kind of kooky, but that's, and so it's hard to say to people, well, you should just like Malort because it tastes good. You know, if they're willing to train their palate um, or just willing to basically be open to experiencing it or just drink enough bitter shit, you know, to like finally go, Oh, okay. Is your, is your glass empty other than the cube? It is. Oh, I would, Oh, I would love for you to experience Malort. Malort. On the rise oh, nice. for the first time on the podcast because I, I mean, you, you know everything about it. It's not like we're educating you about your own product, but I think that uh, you will find it illuminating, like the way that it just slightly dampens the bitterness and brings out that florality. And I think you'll really like see that dill in a way, in, like an entirely new yeah. way. If you've if you've never experienced it this way, it's and after it sits for a little bit, very cool. Also, take take a sip of that high life after, and I think you'll also notice that the beer tastes a little bit different. It's it's fantastic, uh, Charles. While he's doing that, like I mean, for you, what would you wish for people to understand? Uh, I that was a great point regarding uh, how bitter things are an acquired taste. Same is true of you know, like when we all had sushi, and I don't know if you enjoy sushi, but when we all had sushi for the first time, we were like, "Am I supposed to?" swallow it or you know like do i cook it while it's in my mouth is you have almost no idea what to do with it and then you you do a couple pieces and you're like wow actually this is really good i I quite enjoy this uh as an individual who's lebanese and we eat a lot of bitter greens and a lot of bitter foods or for someone who is chinese or uh other origins from southeast asia or people from various parts of europe bitter flavored things are a part of our formative years it's something that we're accustomed to I brought up on a recent episode, I hate to bring it up again, but there's no better place to remind people of this, but uh, when I first judged Iron Bartender in 2015, it was Sammy Wadi, myself, and Eric Seed, two Middle Eastern people on the panel, and the wheel landed on Ilicir Novosalis, and both teams buried it. They yep. hit it. They were like, get rid of every ounce of bitterness. None of these people want to taste it, but if they had for a moment observed the judges or someone on their team looked at Sam A and myself tasting Elisir Novoselis for the first time because neither of us had had it previously. We were both just giddy. We were like kids in the candy store. Like, wow, this is great because we were both Arab Middle Eastern descent. We love bitter stuff. And so when the drinks came to the table and they were not bitter, we gave them demerits for it. We said, <laughs> you have two people at the table that are Middle Eastern and we like bitter stuff. And you buried it to the degree that we don't taste any bitterness. So the presumption that anyone would hate something that is as bitter, air quotes, I'm doing it, as Malort, which is not the most bitter thing that you'll find on a lot of bar shelves, because Illicir Novoselis is on a lot of fucking bar yep. shelves. It's way more bitter than Malort. Yep. The idea that you you can't approach it without an open mind and, and understanding that there's so much more to it, um, I, I find to be uh, unfortunate. The other thing I'll say is one of the reasons I love the marketing, and I'm a creative director and, and a 
marketing director for, for my firm. I love that uh, you set the bar low with the marketing and making fun of oneself is important as we've already qualified with this episode. One of my projects in college when I was at Brown uh, and I, I did an ad campaign for Grain Belt. In the ad campaign, I took a bunch of Polaroid photos of people like drinking Grain Belt premium out of like uh, uh, coffee carafts and like we cheapened it. We said like, this is the beer you drink when you don't have a lot of money or like you're just trying to like get drunk. So that's the idea was setting the bar low. And I remember that I sent it to Grain Belt, like, check it out. It's not like I'm trying to get a job. I just want to see what I did. And they were like, ah, it cheapens the brand. And my response was, no, I think what it does is you, you set the bar low and your product is better than where the bar is set. So then when people enjoy it, they realize, oh, they didn't give themselves any credit. And that's the way I look at the branding and marketing for Malort. They're not saying this sucks. They're saying, ha, try it because it's funny. But then if you try it and you enjoy it, you'll realize why did they why they do that to themselves? Actually, I find this quite enjoyable. Or if you don't like it, then maybe you'll drink it because it's kitschy, mm-hmm. right? Like setting the bar low. We've all had that experience where someone tells us this movie is the greatest movie you will ever fucking see. And then you go see it and you're like, wow, I hated it because you set the bar you said it was the greatest all thing the ever. way Interstellar? <laughs> is that what you're yeah. talking Which, about? Sorry. I so many. I mean, yeah, no, I love Interstellar too. Plus, I it also it's polarizing. I know. It is. Right. It's just like Malort. Interstellar. Like, there you go. What the fuck? Same or, thing. oh my God. <laughs> it's hard to watch now because it predicted the future about people thinking the moon landing's not real. <laughs> <laughs> So that's, uh, yeah, my philosophy is just keep an open mind. Keep the bar low. They set it low for you. Go ahead and chuckle at the marketing. It's great stuff. Go ahead and give it a shot. If you think it's kitschy and you do it with your friends as a gag, but you do it all the time, fucking help yourself. But if you're anything like us, and we're not lying when we say that we enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Even today at our cigar group, I said the thing about offsetting and there's some people, and these are like food and beverage people that were kind of skeptical. Like, really, you you enjoy it as much as you say. Yeah. Like, I've I'm not trying to be ironic. And and I actually I'll cap this off with uh, there's a lot of people in town that are seeing that a lot of the cool kids really actually like Malort. And suddenly they like it too. <laughs> I don't know if they liked it before or if they're pretending to like it now. But there's a lot of people who are like, oh fuck yeah, I can't wait to go to the Malort party. I love Malort. And I'm like, never seen you drink my lord in, in my life but where they're they're welcome to the family they are yeah. welcome all yeah. regardless yeah. of where they fall on that spectrum <laughs> exactly we accept we accept all now well i, I do want to um say while this is still fresh that the okay. the malort on yes. rock okay. is outstanding thank yeah. you for introducing me to that this and is quite different right? wow totally yeah. different like it um, not, not that I need the bitter to go away, but the mm-hmm. idea that it really brings up the, I love your word florality. Mm-hmm. That's such a great word. It brings up all of the, all of the flavors in there. And it, it, it does sweeten it because mm-hmm. you, anytime you chill something, right, it takes, it takes the alcohol, uh, burn away a little bit and brings up sure. the sweetness. Yep. So this is fantastic. And then when, when I have a sip of the Miller High Life after it actually tastes like beer. <laughs> Isn't it wild? Yeah. <laughs> No, no offense. <laughs> Shout out to the champagne of beers. Yes, yes. <laughs> Love Miller High Life. Keep making it it's, forever. It, it, I, I'm really glad that that we kind of got to have, watch you have that experience because it really yeah. is mm. like I my my wife it's switching has, the levers on create a character. Yes, you know, and you pull up the florality and you drop down. Yeah. The hey, we have a whole new character. Uh, like I I got to. Um, 
my, my wife has a giant sweet tooth and uh, bitter has not been an easy flavor for her to uh, accept. It's, it, it just doesn't make sense in her palate. Uh, my wife does, her family does dessert before Thanksgiving dinner and then dessert again after. There are sweets on both ends. Could we be invited? <laughs> yes, 100%. <laughs> and they're all great. That's Bring them lower, please. I didn't realize how, much, how, how little I understood about dessert until I married into this family, and they are incredible at it. But uh, it's been um, a, a slow tug of war just to try and get her. Like, I just wanted to, to have that as, like, a part of the flavor wheel. And uh, I remember pouring Malort for her years ago, and she was like, absolutely not. The same way that she does with, like, IPA. She's like, that's a you thing. Sorry. It's never going to be a me thing. And uh, I, I, um, I've, there's a few, th- like, uh, Broncamenta. Yep. From from that like it's got a high bricks content. It's very sweet. That was the start of it. Oh, she got, she got clever, like, clever. Okay. Yeah. And then um, over ice cream. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then uh, Jay Rieger in Kansas City mm-hmm. makes an incredible Cafe Amaro with cold brew coffee. She is a coffee junkie. So that was like the next step. And that's that is that is surprisingly bitter. Like I there is a sweet note mm. right off the bat, but it it finishes very dry. And so it was like okay. So we had some friends over and they were asking about the bottle of Malort on my, in our bar cabinet. And I went through my whole normal spiel. And then I said, look, if you're ever going to like it, th- like I'm going to put it on some ice and I'm going to let it sit here for a couple minutes and then I'm going to hand it to you. And my friend Hendrick was like, no, absolutely not. I hate this. And then Jenny was like, actually, can I? And she took a sip and I was waiting for her to be like, Ugh. and she goes, yeah, actually I get that. Like, Okay. Then she's like, "Wow, wait, who am I?" <laughs> like, yeah. I, I, it was, it was rewriting just, the character. It was that little difference. That's it. Mm-hmm. It was that little difference. Yeah, and it's fun to be yeah, able to play yeah. with that. Where that's a maybe that, we can snare some more people. Quan yeah. might have remarked that it was the worst timing ever because now it's in the market and she'll be pilfering a stash. Or no, maybe it's good timing. It's perfect timing. You don't have to worry I, yep, about I it. I told her that. I was uh, like, "This, this is the best." This was last week. I was like, "This is the best time ever for yeah. you to start liking okay, the Lord okay. because <laughs> now I don't have to hoard it." <laughs> we have a we have a cabinet that is about six nine six ten and that's where the malort lives because <laughs> i'm the only one who can get it down <laughs> like all right we're okay now um but for me uh i think it's just asking uh we i know that we do have an international audience and shout out to all of you but looking at specifically our, our american audience bitter is a completely underserved category in all aspects of our food and our beverages it is something that we stay away from more than any culture that i've uh, traveled to and you know i've i've been to four continents it's like an the, unrecognized flavor characteristic correct. until very recently yeah and i really? it, whether it's malort or anything else stretch your palate in that direction because a lot of the things that get whether it's a spirit or food there it's usually a combination of a lot of wonderful things that get something to the bitter side of your palate and whether or not you really find a way to fall in love with that is, is one thing, but stretching your palate to get into more bitter things will open yourself up to so many more culinary options and, and beverage options. And I think that at the end of the day, that's all I ever want anybody to do is be a little bit more adventurous as somebody who was very picky and figured out ways to grow into a, a very wide ranging palate. 
And the more that you stretch into this, the less reliant we are on high fructose corn syrup and everything. And the less that we're reliant on, we'll just put more salt in it and then they'll like it. You know, there's a reason that if something, is, if you ingest too much salt, your body will reverse it. If you ingest too much sugar, your body will reverse it. Mm -hmm. If you have something that's too bitter, it's just whether or not you like it. Like there's no, there's no body re reaction to it as long as it's not actually poison as you pointed out <laughs> yes. uh, aside from that it's just whether or not you can take it so nightshade edition malort <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's for me the biggest thing is like keep exploring and in all aspects like if you like certain things in whatever genre it is try things that you don't like a little bit more and figure out what people who do like that field enjoy like johnny and don't knock it till you try it no i'm saying keep knocking it or keep trying it keep and then you it, knock it and then yeah. after a while you can say it's just not for me we'll leave the knock out of it keep trying <laughs> it but it was you know I, I i think i've told this story on the show before but uh it was it was johnny michaels sitting next to me at a bar one night talking about the ad infinitum that is the bitter end of the spectrum where on that spectrum mm. it's just as far as you want to go you can go as crazy astringent medicinal as you can if if that's what you choose to. Mm -hmm. Figure out where your level is on that, and that's the only decision that needs to be made. It's never unhealthy to have something too bitter. If you have too much, like, capsaicin, you know, you could lose stomach lining if something is too hot. This is just, like, do you like it? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm uh, my my lovely wife, who I absolutely adore and is the, the, the greatest thing in my life, she has advice that she gives to um, people who are single and that is date the rainbow. Okay. You yeah. should eat the rainbow as well. Maybe I shouldn't have put those two things so close in context, <laughs> but yes. Yeah. Yeah. So like it, figure it out, right? Is that the try the everything? Lesson? Figure mm -hmm. it out. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Try everything. Oh, yep. that's great. Absolutely. And it's pride month. I <laughs> Uh, <laughs> try everything. Eat the rainbow. Yes. The rainbow. yes. Uh, I feel like, uh, well, so we have one mic for technically two guests. Uh, can we pass it back to Katie for one second? Um, I just want to, to thank you again, Katie, for all that you've done in this industry. I've been fortunate to know you for a very, very long time. We should have Katie on as a central guest. Uh, I think that's kind of... Already been a thing. Yeah. You just um, want me to bring more booze. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm reluctant because you have the best radio voice at the table, but... <laughs> not, you're not wrong. <laughs> yes. But in addition to that, uh, your entire journey through the bar industry and now what you're doing and bringing in all of these products... Part of the reason that I wanted to make sure that we could share the microphone was because you got to tell the story of all these spirits. And I just want to say how important that is. And I'm very, very happy to be a super, super small part of that. And please keep doing what you're doing. Um, is there anything that you want to say about the portfolio that you're working on with New France or where things are headed? Malort, like where Malort can be found. Yeah. Oh, um, at this point, Malort can be found a lot of places. Um, yeah. I love just hearing those words. Some <laughs> of my favorites, um, South Linda Liquors, Zips, France 44, Certix, Hennepin Lake. Um, for bars, we've got it. Palmer's, Iron Door, Grumpy's is a favorite. Meteor. Grumpy's is right uh, down the street from me. Mortimer's. Um, 
if it's not there, ask for it. Yeah. <laughs> and I will get it there. Um, in regards to the portfolio, I'm trying to find things that are new flavors. I'm trying to find things that have authenticity and that are owned by the people making them and those people are making them in the way that you would hope that they're being made. And so if there are things that are not here that you think fit those criteria that you'd like to be here, please reach out to me and these guys will share my where would you, yeah, I was gonna say, where's, info Where is the best? Link, is, there, uh, is there a social media place that you would like people to find you on? Or just um, should we? Social media is not my strong suit. So but I'm we, working on it. All right, we'll we'll send a, a uh, link to, to you with your yeah. friends. Yeah, well, in the copy for the description of this episode, we'll link people to yeah distribution so that there's those. Perfect, but you don't have to be a buyer if you're just an enthusiast who has a product that totally. they love. For instance, yeah. like Malort, and you want it in Minnesota, um, love to be the champion for it. I've you know. Got one here so far, so <laughs> let's it's see a, what else we can that's do. What we would call a major win. So <laughs> <laughs> I feel pretty good about it. <laughs> you, you, you made uh, two humans at this table incredibly yeah. happy. You're my hero of 2022 so far. Yes. yes. So, Katie Dimmick, thank you so much for being a part of this and for bringing thank all that you, you did. Thank you for having me. Uh, and if you wouldn't, if you'd be future, kind enough future to future guest of the podcast, if you if you'll oblige us, it's yeah. totally up to you. If this wasn't annoying for you, then. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's, you've been dealing with me for what, like twelve years. So if if she hasn't gotten rid of me yet, enjoying. <laughs> there we go. All right, I'll take enjoying. That's very kind of you, uh, Tremaine. I I can't thank you enough for giving us this time and for being here. Like this is exactly what I hoped it would be for for two people that have just enjoyed the spirit for so long to to find out that the the human kind of behind the whole machine is is as engaging and as as fun as you are this is thank you so much no uh, thank you bitter. thank a you a lot less better yeah, exactly <laughs> <laughs> thank uh, you for introducing me to malort on rock there we go and um, and, and roquet i think as roquet. they say oh who says that i don't know someone somebody drunk they on malort say somebody, somebody <laughs> says that for yeah. <laughs> For our listeners. <laughs> and for thank you to Katie for bringing these amazing spirits. I yeah. mean, oh, I had yes. no idea awesome. what, what we were going to be okay. drinking, and those were exceptional and great stories and well told. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's, it's fun to learn in this kind of venue, and you brought an inc incredible education for us. Uh, Tremaine, for you, what is, is the social for people that want to follow along and have some fun with, with uh, Jepson's Malort and with CH? Uh, where, would they, where would they look for you? Malort.com. Boom. There it is. Jepson's Malort on Instagram. I tag them all the time. I know. Shamelessly. Uh, and I've heard that there is a CH Akavit. Oh, yes. Is that in the, just the Chicago area? No, it's here now and in the greater Minneapolis, St. Oh, Paul, Duluth area. What? Lord. Beats in the street, baby. <laughs> right, well, I'm, uh, I'm out of here. We'll see you guys later. <laughs> Bye. That, that chair does have wheels on it, weirdly enough. Yeah, I went, I went sliding chair. a lot faster <laughs> than I thought I would. <laughs> it's like a wheelchair from 600 BC. Yes, yes, 100%. That's, that's how I prefer my, my chairs to be. <laughs> Uh, Charles, uh, any any social things you want to shout out? No, I'm going to push you to the liquor store so you can get some of that Aquavit. There we go. All right, well, I'm going to go get out of here and go get some CH Aquavit because I am so excited about that. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening. Drink more Malort, I think, is the lesson at the end of the day. Stretch your palate. Good Lord. Start there. Good Lord, that's Drink Malort. Drink some Malort. <laughs> that's what I have to say. Uh, thank <laughs> you drink for the listening. Drink the rainbow. <laughs> yes, drink the rainbow. And... <laughs> Shout out to all you bucket shops out there, then. <laughs> That's a good time, isn't it? <laughs>